Hello everyone, Callie Hannah here with a quick disclaimer from the future, 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 future. <laughs> the episode you are about to hear was recorded prior to my public coming out as a transgender woman. As such, you will hear myself and others refer to me by my dead name and he, him pronouns, and that is not how I want to be referred to now. I, well, I go by Callie and I use she, her pronouns. Uh, the rest of the episode has been left as is for the purposes of historical preservation, but uh, just know that it is not accurate to my current uh, gender identity. Thank you, and enjoy the show. The hipster and the nerd. Yes, hipster and the nerd. The nerd. One went to the genius. The other is quite absurd. Exactly which is which. Off the fence is which. Yes, good sir. The hipster and the nerd. 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 Hipster and the nerd. Created by Steven Spielberg? No. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Hipster and the Nerd, the podcast where we discuss movies. TV shows, comic books, video games, and all manner of geek and pop culture to see what we can make of it. I am Chris Hanna. With me, of course, is my co-host, Brian Brecker. How are you doing today, Brian? I'm doing fantastic, because you know what happened? You know what happened? What happened? The Cowboys lost. Woo! <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they were throwing shit onto the field. They were so mad. And now their tears have sustained me. And I'm now at 10,000% energy. I'm ready to go. I can fight the world. Yeah. Uh, what are we doing today, Chris? All right. So today we are heading back into the MCU, specifically the movie side. And we're going to talk about Eternals and Spider-Man No Way Home. Otherwise known as the Mongoose Cinematic Universe. The Mongoose Yes, and which one do you want to talk about first? Well, obviously, Chris? we got to talk about the one that came out first, which was uh, e Eternals. All right. So, The Eternals is directed by Chloe Zhao, fresh off of her hit film, Nomadland, which won Best Picture. Yeah. And uh, as we all know, with the career trajectory of any up-and-coming filmmaker, you start with awards movies, and then you go on to make a Marvel film. Exactly. It's just sort of the it's sort of the phase that all filmmakers go through now. <laughs> um, so yeah, if we get into the plot, in 5000 BC, 10 superpowered Eternals, Ajax, Cersei, Icarus, Kingo, Sprite, Fastos, Makari, Druid, Gilgamesh, and Thena are sent by the celestial Arashem, Arashem. to Earth yes. on their starship, the Domo. Domo arigato, Mr. Roboto. Domo. And uh, they need to exterminate the invasive deviants. Now, yes. this is the first Marvel Cinematic Universe movie I can think of that has an actual title crawl, like uh, to explain yeah. shit. Yes, they do. Um, Honestly, it's just like, you know, there is these uh, celestials and then there were these monsters called the Deviants and they have to fight each other. It's like, OK, that's cool. Sure. Yeah. And the Eternals are basically like beings that were created by the celestials to uh, basically lay the groundwork for the celestials birth. Of uh, course, we, we don't. We don't. Yeah, we don't find that about until later. At because this point in the movie, we know we yeah. know of them as simply as superpowered aliens from the planet Olympia because. Right. Because Olympus, you see. I, I have a question about this, though. My question is, if, getting to plot twist spoilers, if the Eternals are robots, 
and they were just designed well, for these purposes. Less, right? quote unquote robots and more like synthetic beings. Like there's okay, there, it's a, it's a subtle difference. Like they're not really mechanical. If, they're not if organic they can be, either. Yeah. If they can be designed, is what I'm saying. Right. Why right. didn't they just design them so that they would have no moral qualms about the death of a planet? I I think that probably would have been the next step. <laughs> I think. <laughs> I think that I think that's Arisham's plan C. <laughs> okay. So, anyways, the last deviants are apparently killed in 1521 when the group's opinions differ over their continued responsibilities during a genocide of uh, of Native Americans in uh, Tenochtitlan. I think this is during Cortez's invasion. Yeah, I do believe. Yeah, because uh, this and that comes, and we'll get into the flashback scenes as they as they come up. Because mm-hmm. this is a this is a example of non-linear storytelling. Yes, which yeah. is a kind of a different thing for the MCU. They don't do non-linear storytelling that much, except for yeah. to to do like a, a flashback. Yeah, like, and that's usually like only once in a film. And this is like, it's not totally non-linear. It's just told in a way that it reveals parts of the story. And it continues in a mostly linear fashion, just with diversions throughout. You know? Yes. But anyway, over the next 500 years, they mostly live apart because they couldn't agree on whether or not to stop genocide. You know, I would have said, hey, let's stop genocide. But they have a but, special know, super purpose you know, that says about, not to it, stop like, genocide. In fairness, like they are they are cosmic beings. And it's like, should we, you know, intervene with, you know, there is a there is a legitimate debate about like if we t- if you know, if we tell the humans to stop doing the genocide. Which, you know, obviously, stopping a genocide is a good thing. I'm not going Mm -hmm. to argue that that isn't a good thing. But does that eventually lead to the path where we turn ourselves into dictators? You know? Well, I mean, here's the thing, is that they're also continuously... And I understand this is part of the evil Celestial's plan and is therefore not necessarily a good thing. But they're also developing the technology of these people, so it's not like they have a complete non-interventionist approach. That's true, but they don't. But they want the humans to have at least some semblance of free will. Um, and I understand that the movie considers this bad. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, and I get that. Uh, I just have kind of the same problem with it being a moral question because I'm like, if you have the power to save somebody, I don't see how you couldn't. I have the same problem when I watch Star Trek: The Next Generation. <laughs> When whenever Picard starts talking about the Prime Directive, and I'm like, dude, just go help people. You're gonna break it anyway. Beverly, the Prime Directive is not just the Prime Directive. Beverly, the Prime Directive is not just the Prime Directive. The Prime Directive is a Prime Directive. The Prime Directive is the 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 Prime Directive. Picard. Well, Picard. Anyway. Well, from what I remember, Picard mostly didn't break the Prime Directive. He was mostly on the up and up. It was Kirk who constantly broke the Prime Directive. Kirk um, and Cisco were the ones that constantly broke the Prime Directive. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But anyway. So anyway. In present day, Cersei, and I'd like to point out that both Rob Stark and Jon Snow are in this show, and they're both lusting after a woman named Cersei, Cersei. and it's very strange. I, I 
at that point, I wonder, did they do it on purpose? Yes. Like, was this the, was this the joke? <laughs> so here's the thing. I kind of have a hot take about Game of Thrones, and I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm going to apologize in advance to Kit Harrington and Rob Snow's actor, uh, uh, Rob Madden. Stark's actor. I don't think at either of them are are that great. <laughs> like, I feel like Kit Harrington has a very limited emotional range, which is mostly being broody, and uh, you know, and then being getting upset. And and Rob Stark's character, I mean. Honestly, I never really considered him a standout character. He's not a point of view character in the novel, so I'm kind of wondering why they were like, "Oh yes, we need to get the guy from from uh, who played Rob Stark. That's the guy." <laughs> I, I don't I don't really get that. I mean, he's good. He's okay. Uh, although his Scottish accent is a little distracting. It's weird how the, the Scottish accent it, it it kind of there's there's weird things with multiple people with accents in this movie. Um. I think Barry Keoghan as Druig kind of has a similar issue where sometimes it's Scottish, sometimes it's just regular British, and sometimes it's vaguely American. <laughs> yeah. And it's just kind of weird. And I, Not I like a criticism to think for the record, just an observation. <laughs> somehow the, the primordial accent was Scottish somehow. Yeah. Like before, before time, there was the, the Scottish time. accent. Yes. <laughs> Uh, so Sprite and Cersei live together in London, and Cersei's partner Icarus left her centuries earlier, and she is now in a relationship with a human, Dane Whitman, Dane Whitman. who must have something special going on because he's teased at the end of the movie. Do you have more information about that, Chris? Um, yes. Although uh, it might be, should we should we talk about that a little bit? Uh, a no, bit? let's talk about it now. Oh yeah. So Dane Whitman, um, because it's the only interesting thing about Kit Harrington in this movie. <laughs> No, I thought it was kind of fun. Um, I've I've never I've never watched Game of Thrones, so this is basically my only exposure to Kit Harrington as an actor. Can, I yeah. never knew my mother. I mean, he's pretty good. I like that scene where he's in the you know where where he's trying to or he's kind of trying and failing to hold a college lecture together. <laughs> like that was yeah, that was I guess funny. That's okay, but what's his deal? Is he like a comic book hero? Or uh, what? yes, because he's they, a he's a character. Him. He's a character called the Black Knight. Oh, I wrote a novel when I was 12 years old called The Black Knight. Well, that's a well, that would be a different Black Knight. <laughs> okay. I yeah. was thinking The Dark Knight, but then I realized the title was taken. No, that's Batman. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, uh he was working at the Natural History Museum and the trio are attacked by the Deviant Crow. And they're like, it's "What? The Deviants have been mm -hmm. dead for like a thousand years." Yeah. With Icarus arriving and chasing the creature away, and later we find out uh, that they all, when they all split up, uh, Ajax was like, "Go out and become interesting people," and only like two of them became interesting people. I wouldn't say only two of them, because I'd say about half of them went off to live their own lives that are interesting in their own ways, and then uh, the other half was just really sad. That is what. <laughs> it's like go off and experience life, and then these guys are like. I'm so depressed. I'm so, <laughs> so depressed. I need to read emo poetry. <laughs> exactly. So then what happens is they're attacked by Crow and Icarus arrives and chases the creature away. And uh, he robs Starks it up and talks about Cersei, which again, takes me out of it every time. <laughs> and uh, I feel like this is a personal problem. <laughs> no, it's not. Uh, like a lot of people had this reaction to the casting. Well, I mean, as someone, well, maybe you should have just been like me and never bothered watching Game of Thrones. <laughs> So be like, not normal people. Okay, gotcha. Exactly. <laughs> normal so is overrated. Concerned, 
concerned that the deviants have returned, they travel to South Dakota to reunite Dakota. with their leader, Ajak. But it's man, Dakota. I can't believe Ajak is fucking dead. Fucking dead. dead. Who could have done that? I well, hope it's not, not Icarus. Icarus. <laughs> well, we'll get to it. Spoiler! <laughs> so Cersei is posthumously chosen by Ajak as her successor, granting her the ability to communicate with Arishem. Yes! So then Cersei contacts Arishem, who looks a bit like Galactus if he was on fire, and learns that yeah. the mission of the Eternals was not to fight the Deviants, but to prepare Earth for the... Emergence. The Emergence. You see, basically... Basically, what's going on here is that the Earth is basically a giant kinder egg, right? Um, mm -hmm. And there's a, there's a Celestial in the Earth. His name is Tiamat. And in order for Tiamat to have enough Tiamat. energy to... Uh, awaken and do celestial things there has to be a certain amount of people on the earth and that's what the eternals are there for to help the population to help humans advance so that the population grows so then tiamin can burst out of the kinder egg that is the earth and be like Whoa! and destroy all 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 human humanity in yeah, the process which will destroy all humanity in the process and then it'll be like boom i'm a celestial i'm gonna go do celestial things and keep the balance of the universe going and create new worlds everybody yeah. got that <laughs> yeah everybody got that <laughs> So, yeah, he's been planting the seeds of Celestials inside planets, assumably also probably Ego, the living planet. Yeah. Where the energy from large populations allows the Celestials to be born, and the Deviants were sent to destroy the apex predators of each planet to ensure the development of intelligent life, but when the Deviants evolved and began hunting the planet's native population, Arishim created the Eternals to hunt them in turn. And yeah. the Eternals have, like, And he also programmed memory? the Eternals to not be able to... Because he pro Remember. And in that process, he... Well, he erases their memories... Every yes. every time, and he also programmed the Eternals to be incapable of evolution, so that a deviant mm -hmm. problem wouldn't happen again. Except it yes. kind of did. So, uh, and a, also bit of, a, the, bit of a bad look on you, Arishim. Not gonna lie. And, and also uh. the uh, the Eternals, uh, if they start to remember their past lives, they go into an insanity. It's kind of like yeah, Wheel of Time. Yeah, called uh, Mad you know. Weary. Yeah. Yeah, Mad Weary. Um, so then, uh, with the, the with the reversal of the blip, Earth has reached the necessary population for the birth of the celestial Tiamat, Tiamat. Uh, which will result in Earth's destruction. So I'd like to point out that Thanos, Thanos inadvertently, Thanos uh, inadvertently pro helped save the humanity. world. <laughs> yes, and they never really point this out. I mean, they, I feel like if this is like if this becomes public knowledge, there would be like a did Thanos know? Well, I mean, well, I mean, well, I mean, uh, uh, Hawkeye through, um, in, in Hawkeye through a series of like background, uh, gags, it's mm -hmm. kind of established that there is a movement in the MCU that believes that Thanos was right all along and that he didn't do anything wrong. Well, they're morons, but anyway. Yeah, but well, I know. Thanos did still... not know about Tiamat. 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 Uh, Stop so saying hoping it to, wrong. Hoping to delay the emergence, they reunite with the other Eternals. At Druig's residence in the Amazon rainforest, they are attacked by the Deviants. I'd like to point out, Druig is played by the, the crazy teenager from The Killing of a Sacred yeah, Deer. Yeah, ba Barry Keoghan. Um, and, and this, I don't know why, but this just bothers me. <laughs> because every time, I, every time I see him, I think of someone using black magic to try and get someone to murder their family members. Well, I mean, he does have mind control powers. <laughs> Anyways, uh, so they got Creepy Kid enough to put Tiamat to sleep with his mind control powers. Uh, and they're like, put a put a Celestial to sleep? No one can do that. And then somewhere Mantis is very mad. 
Well, <laughs> we 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 texted about this while you act while before the while you were initially watching the movie, and my thought yes. came to. Um, well, first, well, my first question was: Was ego bullshitting about his celestial status the whole time? Which is technically I, a possibility, but unlikely. Um, I think that's unlikely. Yeah, They've technically possible, put, but yeah. unlikely. But my uh, the other thing I came up with is, and this is, I think, the plausible reason is that they were trying to put Tiamat to sleep for a prolonged period of time, i.e., enough time that they could come up with a solution to how do we keep the celestial alive and not kill all the humans. Um, yeah. Whereas, they only needed to put Ego asleep for long enough to put the bomb on him, um, and that, that was true. significantly shorter. So, yes. so yeah. <laughs> so uh, let's talk about the different Eternals. Uh, Ajax yeah. is boring. I mean, Cersei Ajax is boring. Uh, uh, mm. Icarus is basically just Man of Steel Superman, but evil. Mm. Kingo is fun. I like Kingo because okay, Kingo turned into a, a Bollywood star. A correct opinion. Okay, good. Um, Kingo turned into a Bollywood star with his fun little, uh, he's got a little agent that follows him around. Karun Patel, MVP of the movie. Karun Patel. Hashtag release. Fastos. The, hashtag release the Karun Patel cut. <laughs> Who's Fastos? Uh, the Brian Tyree, he's the, the Brian Tyree Henry character. He's the, he's the one who builds the machines. He has a husband. Um, oh, the one that, the one that allowed nukes to happen. Right. Okay. <laughs> That's an oversimplification. Yes. <laughs> But technically... just imagine him meeting his husband. He's like, "What's your what's your dark secret?" And he's like, "I'm the reason why Hiroshima happened." And you're like, he's like, "What? He's like... Excuse me." <laughs> uh, and then there's Makare. Is she the one that does the sign language? Yes, she's the speech. Okay. And yeah. then we got Druig, who is the one that initially was most in in he was the he was the big proponent of let's not let people kill other people. Yeah. Um. And then there's Gilgamesh, who is, uh, I thought Gilgamesh was the one that accidentally caused the atom bomb. No, no, no. Gilgamesh is the one that helps, uh, that, uh, watches over Thena after she gets the Mad Weary. Oh, right, right, Gilgamesh is the pie guy. Yes, he's the pie guy. <laughs> right, Gilgamesh is okay, uh, he's cool, Druig is cool, Makari is Makari, Fastos is... I mean, Makari is best eternal. I don't know what Decent representation? We'll get to that. Uh, and Sprite is interesting, but kind of underdeveloped. And that's kind of my problem with the whole movie, is I feel like like only half of the cast is actually engaging. <laughs> and the I, other half just broods constantly. I, I disagree. <laughs> I, really like the, I really like the cast. If I could give my opinion. Um, I mean, yes. Cersei is good. She is probably one of the least developed, but she's she's good. I think Gemma well, Chan. Cersei and Gemma Icarus Chan. are kind of like the two main characters and like the ones you follow the most. It's kind and of they're like both really they, have, they have protagonist syndrome where because yes. they're the main characters and they have to have the emotional uh, weight on them. They don't get to have as much personality as the other two, but they're still they're still Although good. Icarus later becomes the antagonist. Yeah, well, that's a yes. But yes. and Ic Icarus works. I think Richard Madden works as kind of a, as as sort of the, as this turn villain turn thing. I think he works. Sprite's fun. Um, Gilgamesh is good. He doesn't get a lot of screen time though. I like Thena. Mm -hmm. Thena's pretty cool. I love King. I completely forgot Thena was in this. Yeah, Thena's there. Angelina Jolie <laughs> is in this movie. Um. Yep. And she she has uh bow and arrow thing that can turn into a sword that can turn into all the all the other things that's pretty cool um 
Mm-hmm. Uh, Kingo is is awesome. I love Kingo. Kumail Nanjiani. Mwah. He does a Bollywood dance number in his Fangly superhero outfit, and that full version of that song is on the soundtrack. It's called Notch My Hero, and it fucking slaps. It's so I still cool. don't know how I feel about the, the Bollywood dance number, but okay, I guess. It is objectively great. What are you talking about? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's fine. <laughs> I guess. Man, here comes the That's my police. opinion of this whole movie, basically, is it's fine. Huh? Um, okay, what what other okay, what other ones? Uh Druid's I think pretty... we talked about them all. No, no, no. Except I for Sprite. You didn't I... mention Sprite. Uh Spr- well yeah, Sprite. Sprite's pretty good. Um I like Druig. Um he's got some good character work. And of course we have to talk about Best Eternal, Makari. She is a speedster who is deaf and uses ASL and she's super fun and and she has the best uh speed sequences in any movie so yeah yeah take fucking notes dc <laughs> anyways uh yeah. hoping to delay the emergence they reunite with the other eternals and at druig's residence in the amazon rainforest they are attacked by the deviants yeah. and kill all of them except crow who kills gilgamesh before fleeing and he like absorbs his mind power yeah, his mind so juice. he can talk now yeah yes Fastos proposes the uni mind, and they have a little MCU joke about, haha, the uni mind. The That's a dumb name. Call it and brainstorm. A connection, <laughs> a connection between all the Eternals that would give Druig enough power to put Tiamat, Tiamat to sleep with it's his Tiamat. mind control powers. <laughs> However, Icarus reveals that Ajax told him of the emergence centuries before, and he does not want to betray Arashem. So, and, Ajak... and, and it turns out he was the one who killed Ajax. What a twist! Who could have seen this? And yeah, when Ajax suggested to him six days earlier that they try and stop the emergence, he led her to the Deviants and let them kill her. And I'd also like to point out that Icarus planted the story of Icarus, you know, the story of the guy who flew too close to the sun, which yeah. comes back later, uh, in, like, ancient Mesopotamia. So. Yes. Well, because yeah. they're all technically, like, they're all named after mythological figures. So Sprite joins Icarus due to her unrequited love for him, which, you know, Sprite has this whole, like, weird arc where she's like, nobody wants to date me because I'm literally a child. Remember, it's the, it's basically, uh, re- remember Monster Girl from Invincible? It's it's that. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and Kingo chooses to leave as he does not wish to stop Tiamat's birth Tiamat. or fight his teammates. And uh, he's like, yo, I'm out of here. And then Kingo is like, hey, I'm not going to fight you guys. But also, he's making some good points. And apparently, I'm not super invested in my acting career. And I'm okay with them killing the entire world. Well, I mean, Feels to be like, fair, you know. out of character for me. To but be okay. fair, you know, cosmic cosmic scale. Cosmic scale. You got to remember. I'm just saying, of all, of all the characters to be super into what they're doing well, right not, now for the and record, not care, that would be Kingo. For the record, he's not. Okay, for the record, he's not super into it. He's just more like, hey, this is like how the universe has operated for like millennia. And if we like fuck up the mm-hmm. balance now, that might like ruin everything for everyone. I like I like the joke how Kingo like Blackadder. If you ever watch Blackadder, that's a British reference. He like he's lived on for, you know, millennia. So he's like, this is my grand great grandfather. My grandfather. My great. Yeah. My father. Gr- yeah. <laughs> he, he made his own dynasty. He's made his own film dynasty <laughs> effectively. 
Yes. So Makari locates the place of the emergence, which is an active volcano in the Indian Ocean, where Icarus and Sprite attempt to stop them, and Sprite gives a big long speech, but then Druid knocks out Sprite with a rock. And Fastos restrains Icarus while Crow arrives and is killed by Fina, and he's like, guess what, guys? I'm Gilgamesh. And then she's like, sorry, Gilgi, and fucking kills him. (laughs) Yeah. So then Druig is unable to put Tiamat to sleep, and Cersei instead attempts to turn him into marble, which is a thing you can do. Well, and Icarus breaks free of his restraints and goes to kill Cersei, but finds himself unable to do so due to his love for her. And both he and Sprite join with the others in the uni mind. In the uni mind. Cersei gains yeah. enough power to turn Tiamat into marble. Well, Gilbert, no, she uh, she uh, freezes him. Yes. Yeah. She turns him into marble. Well, no, it's, it, it, it looked like ice to me. No, it's not ice, because earlier in the film, they mentioned that uh, she inspired Medusa. She oh. turns things into marble. Well, it looks like it ice. It says though. so right here in Wikipedia, Chris. Fine, it's marble. <laughs> but it looks like ice, though, is all I'm saying. It does saying. not look like ice. Yes, it does. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Guilt-ridden Icarus flies into the sun. Get it? Because he's Icarus? Do you get it? <laughs> yes, I, I do understand the reference, but he's it looks like he's probably not dead, though. At Sprite's request, <laughs> Cersei uses the remaining energy from the uni mine to, to turn Sprite into a human, ending her permanent childlike state, but making her mortel. Yes. Uh, Thena, Druig, and Makari depart on the Domo Erigato. Mr. Roboto. Domo. To find Eternals on the other planets and warm them when the emergences happen. Cersei, Fastos, and well, warn them that remain they're on Earth. Yeah. So yeah, they yes. they remain they were they remain on Earth to do their thing. But then turns out that Erisham saw this and so he he takes Cersei and is all like, Hey, look, I saw that. I'm gonna let you live for now. But I'm gonna come back and I'm gonna judge this planet and I'm taking you with me. Wheat! And then the and that's how the movie ends. The movie ends. Big cliffhanger. But before that, of course, because this is a Marvel movie, we gotta talk about post credits. So the first post credits, which I definitely watched. So the f- so the first post credits <laughs> is that the Eternals are on the ship and they're like, we haven't heard from our friends in in like a like a week. Uh, I don't know mm-hmm. what's going on. We should go back for them. And then suddenly a portal opens, and Patton Oswald, this, this CGI troll, shows up, and he's like, "I'm Pip the Troll, and I'm here to introduce you to the to the great, uh, incredibly handsome warrior, brother of Thanos, Prince of Titan, Harry Styles." <laughs> yeah, and he's the brother of Thanos. Yeah, apparently. Eros. What's Eros slash Star Fox? Which Variety blatantly spoiled like minutes after the premiere of the movie. Cool. What the fuck? <laughs> I'm glad they did. No, that was bad. Bad <laughs> variety. Go sit so in the corner Dane, and think Dane about what you Dane inherits the legendary then, Ebony Blade from yes, his and ancestors. Then, yeah. And an unseen person questions whether he is yeah, ready so for it. you're ready for that, Mr. Whitman? Uh, do, you, uh, we, do, do you know who that voice was? No. It was Blade. Oh, cool. <laughs> oh, come on. No reaction. It's Blade. Come on! I mean, that's, that's cool. Yeah. Okay. Well, be interested to watch the the Blade movie. Why can't you ever be excited about things? Look, you can't just <laughs> stick a character at the end of the movie and expect me to be like, Whoa. Um, I, I want to see the, that's uh, the character it, be in a story. That's how it works. That's how these work. <laughs> no, that's that's not how it works for me. Um, the only good end credit scene ever was the end credit scene of Napoleon Dynamite. 
Uh, that, that was is, great. That is false. That is not false. Uh, lots of so, end credit scenes are very good. So getting into what I think about this movie, um, <laughs> I'm kind of in two minds about this. Because on one hand, I really dig that they're trying something different with the story structure and with the characters and with the LGBT representation with Fastos. We've got to mention his uh, great husband and yeah. uh, their child. And he is a very protective father. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think that stuff works very well, but I also feel like this movie suffers from a lot of pacing issues, especially in the middle of the film, uh, particularly when they seem to just go from action scene to action scene and then have long drawn out conversations. And this would be okay <laughs> if the if these characters were more interestingly developed. But well, that is as the... I see it, only half of the cast is actually okay, interesting. Yeah, because I was going to say, that, that's a bit of a subjective term. <laughs> and what it mostly comes around to is a lot of people moping about in the middle section of the film. I do respect and I do like the tone of the movie, how it's more about how this being gods affects them emotionally. I enjoy that because, you know, when Icarus turns villain, he isn't just, aha, I'm a villain now. He's like, I don't want to kill you, I don't want to kill my friends, but I also don't want to fuck up the universe. So, right. God, so, this fucking so, sucks. Uh, <laughs> overall, I feel like also the, the concepts that it works with, the sci-fi concepts are really, really interesting. My problem is, is that they don't really connect that stuff to making uh, having the characters have interesting arcs is my problem like there's a couple of arcs in this movie like i guess icarus icarus goes down the villain arc obviously kingo has no arc really sprite has an arc of i want to be an adult (laughs) i'm an adult now Uh, and then Fastos has an arc of i don't want to i don't want to help humanity after anymore because nuclear weapons and then they're like but earth's gonna be destroyed it takes all of five minutes it takes all five minutes to get him to be like okay makes sense i mean to be fair Uh, it's like again he was presented with literally the entire planet up to and including your family is going to die if you don't help us (laughs) well that's my problem is they, they have these situations that should have emotional scenes where people are like torn and conflicted about what they want to do but in the movie they last like all of one minute (laughs) Like, they go straight from Fastos's... Look, look, Brian, you've already got pacing issues with this movie. Did you want it to be even longer? No, what I'm saying is you can (laughs) cut out stuff like Sprite moping about how she wants to be dated and and put in more stuff about, like, you know, Fastos struggling with whether or not to, to interfere again in humanity. You know, I'm saying that could be more interesting. And then he could actually have a conversation with his husband and he wouldn't just be a secondary character that's kind of throwaway. And then his husband could have that scene where he's like, you got to do the right thing. I believe in you, you know? And that well, I mean, really they, they, they do have that. Like, No, they don't really. Well, it's, it's there. It's there. No, my, my see, it's the thing. is My problem is is that the, uh, the film has also kind of a tone problem where it will introduce like these really heady, out there, serious questions. And then it will have a scene where a couple people go into that person who has, like, the really, really dark backstory's house and break their table as a joke. And I'm just, like, internally, I'm like, you just broke that man's Ikea table. Like, that poor man spent money on that table, and now you're here breaking it. He already has PTSD from causing Hiroshima. I'm just saying, the the order of scenes do not fit the larger tone occasionally. Like, 
I feel like there was a couple, like, MCU jokes in here that were like, okay, we need to have a joke. You'd have a joke here. But it doesn't really fit in with the tone of the rest of the writing, I think. Like, because the movie is very somber and very uh, sad and very introspective. That's the whole tone, I think, in my opinion. Yeah. And And then you'll have these weird scenes where they're, like, having, like witty banter about who's gonna lead the avengers next as if we're gonna forget that this movie's in the mcu and i'm like okay but can we stick to like the character stuff because you got you got characters developed here like like what the fuck is what, what the fuck is gilgamesh's thing you know like i get he bakes pies <laughs> but what are his wants and desires we'll never find out because he gets fucking ganked <laughs> Athena has no arc, because Athena is just like, I went crazy, and now I'm with the team again. I guess I was crazy, but it was kind of a justified crazy. Cool. Uh, that the whole you're gonna go crazy. And well, she has that. Well, never... she has. Well, she also has that thing where like she's in love with with Gilgamesh, and then Gilgamesh dies, right. and she's sad about it. But yeah, then the Gilgamesh yeah, okay. becomes the deviant, she's, okay. and then she's yeah. got to be like, I have to kill you because you're a deviant, and that's then you're evil. But and then the deviant tries to be like, but I'm your boyfriend, and then she's like. No, um. So my that, point is, they introduced this concept of going insane when remembering your past lives, and then does nothing with it. <laughs> like I feel like that would have been an important plot point, you know. Especially after they all learned they had past lives, but I guess knowing you did isn't the same thing as knowing your past life. I don't know. It's very strange to me. So I feel like I respect them, this movie's ambition, but like. Its execution was like not great, so I mm. give it like a six out of ten. Mm. You know that is a that is a relatively that is a relatively uh, fair assessment that uh, understands the subjectivity of art, particularly from an individual's perspective. But also, it's a different opinion from mine, so therefore you're wrong. <laughs> okay, that's what a, did you think? That's a you? that's a joke to Eternals. be That's a joke to be clear. I respect your I opinion, though I disagree with it. I personally really loved this movie. Um, I have. I really enjoyed it. I liked how it sort of broke the formula, broke the mold, and to be like, what if we really... Because this is really the first MCU movie since uh, Black Panther to really examine some, like, kind of deeper philosophical questions of, like, is it worth... Is it worth potentially, like, like what are, you know, what are the implications of, you know, yeah, obviously, you don't want an entire planet to die, but also, you know... If we do, if we don't, you know, let the planet die, then maybe the universe dies, and that's also bad. I kind so of like, question, though, where do Celestials come from? Well, the idea is that the Celestials existed before the dawn of time and before the Infinity Stones existed. So the the, the Celestial, the initial, the original Celestials just kind of are... But the Celestials are also born. Yeah, they are born. So I guess presumably the first Celestial was born from... The, I, my guess is, and they've never... I don't think they've ever, like, clarified this. Is that the idea is that the first Celestial was born out of the energy from the Big Bang or something. Um, and then that Celestial spread seeds to host planets. And those made okay. new Celestials. And then those made new Celestials, etc., etc. So it's God that, Pollen. Yes. <laughs> okay, cool. Um so uh all right, so other things. Um I like the character interactions. I think the whole cast is very good. Particularly um uh I my personal favorites being Kumail Nanjiani's Kingo as I mentioned and Makari yes. 
who is the best Eternal, and I will not hear any arguments to the contrary. Um, I mean, she's okay. She's, she's fine. I love Makari. Makari's awesome. Um, I do like how they had the balls to not edit out the gay kiss in this movie in yeah. foreign markets. I mean, it was. Um, I mean, it was straight up uh, removed in certain homophobic countries. Um, well, actually, wait, no, it no, was. Well, oh no, wait, actually, wait, no, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. It yeah, wasn't. Wrong. It wasn't that the kiss was removed. It's that in certain countries the film was just banned. Like, yes. Yeah. Because because Disney finally put his foot down and said no, no we're not gonna. We're going to bend you, to your homophobic you can either, wishes. You can either have the gay men or you can't have the movie. And I guess a exactly. lot, And I guess some countries chose. Well, we're just not gonna have the movie. <laughs> right. Like um, Russia. Yeah. Like Russia and China. Um. Uh, I do. I also, speaking of which, I do really like Fastos. I think Brian Tyree Henry does a really good job, and you know they really play into the. Um, you know, pathos of his character, both in, you know, emotional moments and some funny moments. Like, I like the scene where they're in, like, Babylon, and they're on the ship, and he's like, I made this steam engine, and he's, engine, to help the humans. It's, isn't it cool? And they're like, that's gonna <laughs> freak him out, man. Like, don't do that yet. They've only had the wheel for, like, a couple hundred years. Like, dude, slow down. And he's like, all right, <laughs> here's the plow. It plows things. I wanted to give them a steam engine. It would have been so cool. <laughs> like, <laughs> and then and then the scene and then the scene with Hiroshima and where he just breaks down and he's like, you know, they're not worth saving. They're not worth saving. Like, the, I thought that was an in, immensely powerful moment. Like, at, I have a question. Yeah. So if the whole point is to is to aid humanity along so that they can increase their population to the point where the celestials can then feed off their intelligence like a battery, um. Then why didn't they just give them these technological advancements earlier? So then well, the population would explode earlier. Again, as well, well, like, well, like they said, if you gave them the steam engine after only a few hundred years of the wheel, they would freak out. They'd probably all die. Have you seen what's happened the last hundred years? <laughs> we have the internet. I mean, I mean, fair computers. point. Well, I mean, okay, that's well. What I'm saying is the the rate of technological advancement is not uh, a straight curve. It's it's actually very up and down. I mean that is throughout true. Throughout human human history. I mean that is true, but they also don't want to look suspicious, you know. Like I don't I don't okay. think they want the humans to know. Hey, we need you to make as many of you as possible, so then your planet can be destroyed, so a big <laughs> space god will pop out of it. Um, well, they don't know that at this point. That's true, and they want to make sure they don't know about it. <laughs> I, th right. I think I'm talking more about Arisham's strategy than the Eternals themselves. Right. And I also feel like the Eternals are probably want to be concealed because Arisham is telling them be to be concealed because of the aforementioned reason I just said. Um, anyways, um, so I like all the character interactions. I like the cosmic ideas it explores. I think the action scenes when they do happen are really, really good, particularly the climax, you know, of the the turtles fighting each other on the giant space god and makari makes the big speed tornado <laughs> and lasers are fighting. It's, it's really cool it's really cool i also like the opening action scene as well the mostly silent fight in the caveman times against the deviants mm -hmm. i thought that was a really good and really effective uh opening action scene um, i think that uh there's a lot of great visuals in this movie but yes. overall i i'm not a huge fan of the action scenes um... I think sometimes, uh, I don't know, sometimes they're a little underlit. I mean, that's fair. Kinda, it is a, it is a kind little, of a thing it, it with is this a, film. I mean, like, it's not like DCEU levels. It's not like, you know, Snyder DCEU levels of gray. But, you know, admittedly, you know, maybe you could 
I, I, I guess you, I suppose you could up the saturation a little bit, um, potentially. But, you know, I feel like that's kind of a nitpick at, at most. Um, well, I mean, the, the color grade is a very important part of filmmaking. Um, and Nobody I fucking cares, color Patrick grade... Willems. <laughs> no, no, so I understand the color grade here was an artistic decision based off of trying to make it grounded, realistic, and set with the tone, which is uh, morose. And, uh, but the problem is, in my opinion, is at the end, you have these colorful costumes and these guys fighting with magic and shit, and you're like, oh, but it's still desaturated. I mean, like, you could have a sliding scale is the thing. Not all of it needs to be, you know, doom and gloom. I, su- I suppose, I suppose, but that's something they could improve on for, if the, for the sequel. Announce the eternal sequel, you cowards. Do it. Yes. Um. So anyway, what else do you and, think about this movie? Uh, what I, and I think what really, what I think really, and I said this in my review as well, uh, my initial review when it came out, is that what sets this apart from the rest of the MCU is that most MCU movies tend to be action movies that have intimate character dramas within them because they want people, because the consequence of Marvel wants people to like the characters so they go buy more tickets to future movies means that right. these movies end up being intimate character dramas a lot of the time because they want people to, you know, have things to like about the characters. Mm. Um, uh, so whereas this movie is more of an is is straight up. It is an intimate character drama that just With has action, action scenes in it. Yes. Which is sort of an interesting reversal, I feel. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I really enjoyed it. And, you know, I understand that this is obviously not going to be a movie for everyone. For one thing, it's very long especially for you know such an out there concept you know again and it, it... i mean the length isn't as bad as the pacing in my opinion <laughs> like uh a whole a whole generation of film goers has seen a three-hour film now with infinity war end game uh and end game yeah end game so i mean i think uh it, it's really about the pacing and i think the pacing uh gets really slow in the middle That's, i think um I feel I, I feel like I hear that like with every other big movie now. If someone goes, it drags a bit in the middle. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I'm looking, I, I, mean I know I get, I get what you're trying to say, but I just feel like that is I feel well, like my favorite film is is five and a half hours long. All right, <laughs> yeah, so you're so not going to you... hear me complain about length. Yeah, all right, and I have I have very strong patience with movies. Yeah. Uh, I watch Andre Tarkovsky and stuff like that, so I understand. You want to be slow and deliberate. I'm just saying that with the pacing of the rest of the film, the middle section comes out a little slowly paced. I it's think. just, I, I mean, yeah, I get that you're saying that is a legitimate criticism. It's just that I feel like every other fucking letterboxd review tends to contain <laughs> some phrase of those lines. It's like, God, <laughs> go outside. <laughs> Murder the middle section of movies. Get rid of it. Yeah, uh, we only need straight beginning from rising action to to climax. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah. Overall, I think you know. Well, you know, it, it's it, you know, is it? It's not quite like a top ten MCU movie for me, but I still really, really enjoyed it. And you gave it a ten out. of 10. I did give it a ten out of ten. But I it, Wait, it, the way you talk about it sounds more like you think it's an eight, though. Well. It's it's very hard to co- look. Quantifying, <laughs> I've said this before and I'll say it again, is that quantifying your emotional reaction to a film within a mathematical number it seems like an impossible. I've thought about getting rid of my rating system multiple times for this reason, um, but like 
the thing is, and like, yes, when I think about it, there are things where I'm like, yeah, I can see why this movie wouldn't be for everybody. And I can see why there might be some issues for it with some people. But I also know that when I walk away from watching this movie, mm-hmm. I'm like, that was, that was, that was amazing. Like, I, okay. Yeah. And that's, that's just, that's, that's my opinion. You can feel free to respectfully disagree as long as you're not a dick about it. But I also still don't get how the, how the fuck is this the, by the Rotten Tomatoes scale, the worst MCU movie. Like, that's just wrong. No. Like, I mean, it's not, it's not no. the best one. Um, like, yeah, but I'm it's not certainly gonna say not it's, the worst. I'm not going to say it's the, I'm not going to say it's the best one, but the fact that it is on the bottom of the scale is feels very, very wrong to me. I like, have that, it as um, my 11th uh, lowest rated uh, film in the MCU or the, in 20th place. It is my, out of 30. It's, it's, I definitely have it higher than that. It's not quite in the top 10. I have to double check. It is my... Thirteenth, thirteenth, number thirteen. Yeah. yeah, I have it above Ant Man and the Wasp, but below Ant Man. <laughs> I have it between uh, Loki, and I have it. I have it above Thor Ragnarok, but below uh, Loki. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So that kind of shows our different reactions to the movie. Yeah. So yeah, do you have anything else you want to say about the Eternals? I mean, I guess I do. I will wrap up that particular section by saying that even though you know it may not be a movie for everyone, I still. I still very much applaud uh, everyone involved, Kevin Feige and and particularly Chloe Zhao and the cast for really sticking to their guns and doing something different. And I think, and at least in my opinion, I think they succeeded and I think they should do another one. And I really want to see more of these characters and and this world because I think it is very fascinating. I think what, and I think, you know, you could potentially iron out any issues in a sequel. So yeah, do more of these. Please. For me, I, I I can sum it up with I wanted to like this movie more than I did. I suppose that's fair. Who's got eight legs and is named Peter Parker? Well, the uh, I don't think we've gotten to the Man Spider arc quite yet. Um, but Man Spider, that is a thing. Um, <laughs> the Human Spider. The Human Spider. Human Spider. That sucks. So anyways, now we are, of course, going to talk about Spider-Man No Way Home, a.k.a. the movie that you've all seen at this point because it made one because it's made one point six billion dollars. Yep. <laughs> so. All right. So at the start. So this movie opens up right where literally right where Far From Home left off with Mysterio revealing Peter Parker. Just like a saw film. Revealing Peter Parker's identity. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 straight up with even even including Peter's what the fuck um cut off yes. by a car horn horn and immediately the public is like wait hold on you're Spider-Man are you Spider-Man's girlfriend did you murder Mysterio what the hell is going on and so they have to get away hashtag Peter Parker is over party <laughs> Peter Parker try saying that try saying that five times fast Peter, Peter Parker. Parker's over party Peter Parker's over party Peter Parker Peter Parker Can't here to pick it. up a passport, please. Um, anyways, uh, so they swing, so he and MJ swing over back to his place, place to you know try and get their bearings to figure out what's going on. And MJ's on. like, "You said you'd never do this again," which is a callback to Far From Home. To a callback to Far From Home. And uh, meanwhile, in the midst of May and Happy Hogan's breakup, uh, a news helicopter has followed them there, and so that's how they find out. Oh, everyone knows now. Oh, shit. Um, and then damage control shows up, and they're like, 
we have a warrant for the arrest of Peter Parker. And so they all end up Peter going. Peter Parker picked a peck of peppers. And so they, they end up going, they, they all end up being interrogated by damage control. And I like how both MJ and Aunt May are immediately, don't say anything without a lawyer. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So they all get interrogated. And they're all like, oh shit, what are we going to do? You know, all these terrible things are happening. But then, and, and then they get a little help. From a Mr. Matthew Murdoch, but damn yes. the devil, Charlie it's Cox, he's back. Chris. He's back, Chris. baby. It is, it is my boy. It is, yeah. My boy, Matt Murdoch from Daredevil. Yeah, and, right? he show, and, and he shows up and he's like, hey, uh, P- hey, Peter, don't worry. I got y'all locked down. I'm a really good lawyer. Also, None the, of these... also the Netflix shows are canon now, obviously. Uh, yeah, apparently. Yes. And um, by the way, I just wanted, I want to take this moment. To talk about how much I adore Charlie Cox as Daredevil, uh, he is so fucking fantastic in this role, even when the writing wasn't that great in Daredevil Season 3. I just love his performance as Matt Murdock. I was a little sad we didn't get to see Foggy. They're, they're holding Foggy Yeah, they're holding for, uh, Foggy back, but, you know, both Charlie Cox yeah. and, while not in this, uh, Vincent D'Onofrio, they are both back, so... Yes. Yeah. And uh, I, I just adore Charlie Cox's performance. And he has this great moment where uh, s- someone throws something through a window. Oh, and yeah. He yeah. Someone throws, the, someone really throws the brick. And yeah. he catches the brick. And Peter's like, how did you do that? I'm, I'm a, a really, really good lawyer. Good lawyer. <laughs> I'm a really good lawyer. So, yeah, that's, that's <laughs> Which, how. Which, if you watch the Daredevil show, he is not a good lawyer. Yeah, because he He's a like, terrible lawyer. This is, this is, like, this cameo is, like, the second, di- the, is the second, is only the second time in continuity he's done any actual We've ever seen work. him be a lawyer. The first time being. Yeah. The first time being the People versus Frank Castle, which was obviously a doomed case from the start. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we call More. a loser case. Yeah, a loser case. But yeah, so so yeah, so that's and that's how that scene ends. And so so he's all like, "Don't worry, the legal char- you know, I got you. The legal charges aren't gonna hold you against you. Don't even worry about it." But you, Happy Hogan, you should probably worry about it because they could link their technology back to Stark Industries. Happy's like, "Oh shit, wait, you're charging him with the Goodfellas reference." Um, <laughs> but yeah, but of course there is also the problem. Uh, problem of the court of public opinion because people because even if there's no legal charges against him people still hate him hence the brick um so yes he goes back to school and he's surrounded by all these publicity hounds and i like the i lo- and you know it's really fascinating to see you know because there are protesters but there are also people who are like obsessed fanboys there's that one guy who just really likes mj it's like <laughs> The one guy that's shipping them, shipping real life. Are you people. gonna have any spy? Are you gonna have a spider babies? <laughs> Which is probably that's probably um, that's obviously actually a commentary on real world crazy, creepy shipping real yeah, world it, people it, it, culture. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So don't do that. Don't, that's weird. Don't do that. <laughs> I also like how Flash. Unless you're shipping me with myself. <laughs> in which case, I'm totally fine. Unless with you're that. shipping me with ten million dollars in cash. Yes. Yeah. Um, and you're shipping it to me right now. And you're shipping it to me. <laughs> exactly. Right now. Um, anyways, uh, so, yeah, so they, they go back so they're, they go back to school. Um, also, I like how Flash had, after dealing with a brief existential crisis over this dork he's hated, turns out to be the hero he's admired for years. Um, he wrote a book? <laughs> yes. He, he's... He... <laughs> He's grifting off of Spider-Man. Yeah, Flashpoint. One spider, two hearts, a million crazy-ass memories. 
<laughs> I also like and, how uh, Marvel got to Flashpoint before DC did. Ayo! Yes. And uh, and the, the whole movie, he just constantly wants him to tell the media that he's best friends with uh, with Spider-Man. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. I think that's fun. Yeah, that's that is very fun. So anyway, so because they they are in their senior year, they're going through their college applications, obviously, and they get there, they you know they go through because they all want to you know be able to go to the same school together. Mainly MIT, that's the dream. You know they want to go to Boston, have a you know have a fresh start. You know Peter can Spider Man there because there's crime in Boston, wicked crime. <laughs> yes. I, I like how Ned is like wicked crime. <laughs> wicked crime. Wicked crime. Um, yeah. And I like how uh, in this movie we actually see Peter face adversity. That's new. I mean, he, That's I fun. mean, he did face adversity in the last two. It was just a lot of it was it was it was a bit more. Sometimes it was a bit. Okay, more but let's let's be real, and we're gonna get into this later. Let's be real. The emotional stakes like from the, the first two films to this one is like you're driving a car in a really nice valley, and then it goes straight off a fucking. Cliff. I, mean, I mean, yes, the emotional stakes are obviously much higher yes. but I, I i disagree with the notion that he went through nothing in the first two like there he, he... Oh, yeah he went through a couple things <laughs> like something that would make for a good issue of a comic book that you'd forget about you know <laughs> i don't know if you'd forget about it but like... this is like an arc this is like a a, a couple issue arc this would be a major arc this is, if this it's, were a, comic it's a trade paperback yes right um, this would be a trade paperback. i i do i will say uh on on that note um, even though they'd never make this, I do kind of, I would kind of, I would, I personally would have been interested in the movie that was kind of just Spider-Man dealing with court cases. And like, he has to be on the witness testimony stand the whole time. <laughs> You're just basically doing t the trial of Tim Heidecker, but it's Peter Parker. Yeah, man, the trial. That's a joke for you on cinema fans yeah. out there. I would Adult Swim. Like, that would have, like, that would be a, that, I mean, that obviously would have been, like, an issue of a comic or an episode of a TV show, but, you know, no one's gonna go see the movie where Spider-Man is just wearing a business suit, standing on the <laughs> witness stand the whole time. <laughs> Except me. Yes. Um, but, you know, that's neither here nor there. Anyway. And then he goes to the New York Sanctum to ask Stephen yeah, so, Strange for yeah, help. Yeah, so anyway, so then what happens is they, they get their letters from MIT, but they're all rejected because they're friends with Spider-Man. He's like, oh, man. I, I don't want to I don't want to have to hurt you. I'm, I'm it's so terrible that, you know, this is hurting you guys. You obviously didn't do anything wrong. And I and I didn't do anything wrong either. But especially you guys didn't do anything wrong. You shouldn't be roped into this. How can I possibly fix this? And then he's like, wait, I know a wizard. So, yes. So he goes to the Sanctum Sanctorum to meet with Dr. Strange and Wong. Wong is also there. Wong is apparently the yes. Sorcerer Supreme. And now it's on a technicality. like wintry there for some reason. It's like winter. Well, no, because uh, be well, yeah, because the uh, the sanctum gates, one of them leads to Siberia, and Strange forgot to reinforce. Yes. Them. <laughs> yep. Um. And so, uh, and then he starts making him a spell. You yeah, because basically to try and get everyone to forget that he's Spider-Man. Yeah, because his idea is initially time travel, and Doctor Strange's like, well, no, we tampered with the stability of space-time to like resurrect people, and you want to do that just because. You know, your life's kind of shitty right now. And first of all, technically speaking, Doctor Strange, you two didn't do that. The rest of the Avengers did that because you two got disintegrated. But that's neither here nor there. Um, anyways, but yeah, he points out there's the, the, he doesn't have the time stone. But memory spell, we can make people forget you're Spider-Man. And I, this is the point of the movie. This is the point where I want to point out that basically everything bad that happens in this movie is all Doctor Strange's fault. Because if he had just explained the context of how this spell works beforehand to Peter, 
then none of this would have happened. No, it's Peter Peter's did, fault. D- <laughs> but it's it, obviously Peter's fault. I mean, you're going to a wizard to try and tell him to change reality. I mean, that's and true. And you don't expect unintended consequences. I mean, that's true. That is all. So, okay. It, it is. That's true. Peter should have not gone, not tried to make an easy fix in the first place. But also, Doctor Strange, you could have just explained it to him from the beginning. And this wouldn't have happened. So it's technically... No, he did. He, he Technically, he did. Because he said, you're not, you're not going to be able to change it during mid-spell. Yeah, but he, he could have him. said that before he started casting the spell. He did. He actually did. Hmm. Well... He did tell him tell him that before the mid-spell. So this is Peter's fault. Well, And that's what makes this movie a great Spider-Man movie, is that Peter gets depressed under the weight of his own actions. <laughs> I saw a, a crazy Twitter thread. Um, and no offense to anyone that thinks this, but they're like, I didn't like No Way Home because the whole point of the movie is that Peter Parker's whole life is all about pain. And I'm like... Yeah. yeah. I mean, yes. 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 That's that not, is true. That is yes. <laughs> major character. Like, Peter Parker's life sucks. That's like... Yes, that is the point. His whole thing. <laughs> if you don't like that, you can go watch The Amazing Spider-Man. <laughs> Where his life also sucks. <laughs> his life sucks in a different way. That's true. Yeah. Um, I can't really think of any adaptation where his life doesn't suck. Yeah, that's kind of... Except maybe the blonde Spider-Man in uh, Spider-Verse. Well, I mean, the, yeah, but then he dies. But then he dies. So, so that's pretty bad. That's kind of the ultimate suck, you know. <laughs> exactly. So, anyways, so he does. So Strange starts doing the spell, but then Peter's like, "Oh wait, this is gonna forget. It's gonna." Well, well, basically, what I'm getting at here is then Peter's like, "Oh wait, so this means all the people I want to know are gonna forget." So he keep. So I will admit, uh, even though I ragged on Strange, Peter, you could have just given him the whole list of people who should know from the beginning instead of taking it one at a time. <laughs> That is, yep. <laughs> yeah. So, so he ends up changing the spell six times, which means he, ha- which means Strange has to contain the spell and not cast it. And he's like, "Look, there's nothing we can really do. I'm sorry, this didn't work out. Sometimes I forget you're still just a kid, but you know, hey, if they rejected you and you weren't able to convince them. You know, what else are you gonna do?" And Peter's like, "Well, when you say convince them, you mean I could have called them?" Well, yes, you, you, you're allowed you, to you, do you that. You didn't call. Yeah, you could, you could do that. Well, I mean, I you could you. You didn't call them? Well, I got their letters. So, so let me... Sorry. Let me get this straight. You mean to tell me you didn't even think to plead your case before you asked me to brainwash the entire world? Yeah. Well, when you Those put it are like the lines that... in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I just love they, that and line. Then he, and then he shuts it out. Yeah, and he shuts yes. the door. Uh, so, so then Parker tries to convince an yeah, MIT he goes administrator to, the to MIT reconsider MJ and Ned's application. To try to convince her um, in the middle of the street, I might add, because she's on her way to the airport. So she goes, she tries to, he tries to plead his case, though he obviously didn't rehearse his speech. And, but then suddenly, Spider Sense is like, oh shit, something's happening. Everybody's got to get off the bridge. Some shit's going down. Cars exploding. And then what do we see? Metal tentacle. And out there he is, Alfred Molina. Alfred Molina, octopus, and I just want like great entrance within the movie itself. But can you imagine if they had gone with? And this would this was probably never going to happen. But can you imagine if they had gone with the original marketing plan, where they were going to pit they they the marketing was going to be they were going to pitch the whole thing as a civil war between Peter and Doctor Strange, and just 
go into nothing about any of the multiverse stuff. Can you imagine if they had actually gone through that and with uh, gone through with that and without knowing anything, Alfred Molina shows up? <laughs> well, it wouldn't have worked because everything about this film basically got leaked two months in that advance. That is also it true. feels like yeah, it wouldn't have, yeah it would it, well. Th- Honestly, this movie's production started with leaks because I remember when Electro got when Jamie Foxx was confirmed before they had even you know these are had a title. leaks quote unquote yeah. you know leaks which is really just Disney I mean this, telling people not to say they told them things. Well, I mean technically Sony, but uh, <laughs> Sony and Disney. Sony and Disney. Um, well, I mean, yeah. I I I guess okay. Well, th- this is assuming that the leaks wouldn't have happened, um, but. Um, but, but yeah, so they have the, they have the, this big fight on the bridge. Um, I really, I never knew I needed to see the iron spider legs go up against the Doc Ock arms, but that uh, was fun. Yeah, that was really cool. And then he absorbs the nanotechnology, but the nanotechnology allows, uh, Peter to control the arms. And, and, and there's this really fun throwback to that scene in Spider-Man 2. It's like, listen to me. No, don't listen to him. Listen to me. <laughs> you will listen to me now. You will listen to me now. Listen to me now. Not him, me. <laughs> and so, so um, I I do really love this movie, but I do think they turn uh, Otto into a bit of a rube. Well, which I guess is okay. Well, I mean, because because his chip got fried in the in the transport, so right. You know, it it it's, it, it it lines up. Um, so yeah. Well, I I kind of just assume that these aren't necessarily the same characters from the Raimi. And Garfield. Well, the idea is that they to... technically emerge from an. Well, they're technically creating an alternate timeline within the process right. of what they're doing with these with with them in the movie. So by curing because, them, the idea yeah. is that they would go back and that they would get to live relatively normal lives, which would obviously. Well, my be point is is that I think that there movies. are there are subtle character differences between how these characters show up in this film and how they appeared in the Raimi films. And there's a big one I with like, uh, obviously Amazing Spider-Man. Well, yeah, with, uh, Electro. Well, Electro. You know. Well, that also, but that is explained uh, in universe though, and well, you know, we we can we'll get to that momentarily. But I, I, that might be more a consequence of just you know a different directorial style. You know, these particular incarnations of the characters have never been directed by anyone other than Sam Raimi until now. Right. So you know that might uh, be. A I, I think that. Like, I, I, I'm not sure if I can really rectify this version of Norman with old norman well this and well this I, well this version of norman is a lot more brutal to to be honest th- well yeah like th- i do i do really like this version of norm don't get me wrong i mean honestly willem dafoe willem knocks dafoe, it out like honestly i think he's I, I think he's better in this than he is in the first spider-man i and... i i might i might disagree with you but he does have great moments and I, i'd like to point out though if we compare the characters as they appeared in in the raimi film and in this movie in the raimi film uh, Norman Osborn is already a horrible person. Yeah, I think... And the Green Goblin persona is merely just an out for him to do all the things he wants to do, but his moral scrupulosity wouldn't allow him to do. Well, I feel like you the know? idea is supposed Which, to be that, like, yeah. he, that especially, like, after he fo- adopts the Goblin persona and he does all the murder, that, like, his right. regular side, it would be attempting to make amends, like, and become like a not terrible person. At least that. My my point is, I think yeah. I think that uh, Norman and the Green Goblin, while they are two, they are two different personalities. They're both really the same person. 
you know in some there's ways, two sides yes. to the same person yeah. it reminds me of um the quote from the novel dr jekyll and mr hyde if he was one or the other it was only because he was extremely both and that is norman osborne whereas in this marvel cinematic universe version it seems like these identities are not uh as great they're I mean, not it's, as it, fluid into each yeah, other they, the idea, they're very distinct they're, yeah they're you know? much more distinct and i feel like the idea is that he has i feel like the idea is he's trying to be like after because he's gone through at this point of where he shows up he has seemingly mm-hmm. gone through most if not all of spider-man one um right you know right before he dies and then he ends up here and i feel like the idea is supposed to be that doing being in the goblin persona and doing all the murder has made him not want to be a terrible person hence why when he's in the norman persona he's a actually good person <laughs> so here's what i'm thinking though is that at the very last scene you know the iconic death scene with um norman osborne and he's touching his little arm thing and and he's saying it wasn't me it was the goblin yeah, you know and i always well, interpreted I mean, that, that I mean, scene yeah that scene well i mean there's I always, multiple no, here, here, hear me out I, um, I i always interpreted that scene as him trying to trick spider-man with the norman persona that it doesn't really exist I mean, you know. that is that is one way you could see it. You could yeah. also see it as potentially, and I don't know if I see it this way, but it, it is, it's the one that probably most lines up with this version in that right. it is the Norman persona speaking, but it is the goblin persona controlling the physical movements, which is, right. it's, it's plausible. Um, I mean, yeah, but I, I, I'm, what I'm saying is I feel like and I'm okay with it being two different characters, you know. I, I just think that they must be two different characters. Because okay. even when Norman in, in Spider-Man 1 wasn't in the Goblin persona, he was doing horrible things. I, I mean, that is fair. Like, I, I guess... Like calling his son's girlfriend like like a like a, a whore and stuff. <laughs> I mean, that is that is fair. But I guess for me, for me at least, the, the continuity mm-hmm. lines up enough where, like, I could see these as being the same versions of the characters from the original universes though they don't necessarily have to be or you could also interpret it as whenever good norman is out that is him pretending to be good like the whole thing is a show yeah you could yeah you could interpret it that and he's only like actually good like at the very end Um, right so which even then if he's the same character from spider-man one he's not actually good at all well again well again you could debate of like if he got if he got the goblin formula out of him after everything he's been through, it is arguable mm-hmm. that he'd want to become a better person. Like, it's not necessarily right. what would happen, but it's a p- plausible scenario. Anyways. I mean, it, yeah, no, I, I'd like to talk about this a little bit oh, more. Oh, okay. And Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, uh, <laughs> Dr. Jekyll wants to become Mr. Hyde. Right. You know? And I feel like there's a part of Norman Spider-Man 1 that wants to be the Goblin. That is Whereas true. in this version, I don't feel like norman wants to be the goblin but the goblin is something that takes hold of him yeah but i again you could argue and i i and this is how i see it like that it's that he doesn't want to be the goblin because he has this trauma from being the goblin like he did want to be the goblin but then when he was actually the goblin and did all the murder he was all like you know what have i done um I think it yeah. would make more sense to assume that he's just putting on a show if we're going to go through that line of logic i mean that's i mean that is also Again, and it's supported by the text that is of the movie. Yes, that is that is fair. But you know, that's yes. one that, that I mean, that's you could argue that's what's great about the characters. There, there's a lot of layers. There's a lot of layers. Yeah. There's a lot of interpretation. It's, it's like a, it's like an onion. It's so like anyway. an onion. So anyway, so they have the battle on the bridge and 
Yeah. He takes control of the arms, and then pumpkin bomb, Green Goblin in the armor. He shows up. And we've all talked. We talked about Norman Osborn. We've talked about Norman Osborn I, a lot, and we'll we'll you know yes. I I do I do find it I do actually they put him in the armor for basically that one shot so so they can put it in the trailer only to almost mm-hmm. immediately afterwards destroy the mask and put him in a much better suit later in the movie. Yes, and so that we can just have Willem Dafoe's face be a goblin face. Yes. Good. Now just paint it green and give him the pointy ears and a slightly longer chin. That's comic book Green Goblin. Boom. We solved it. Um, anyways. So, Have you ever noticed that Green Goblin in the comics looks a lot like a witch? Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Not like a goblin at all. <laughs> well, I mean, the goblins are a lot more... Like, m- mythological goblins are a lot like more... For lack of a better term, scrugglier? Like, they're anyways, more like as Norman Osborn arrives and attacks, Strange teleports Parker back to the sanctum yes, and yes, locks yes. Octavius in a cell next to Kurt Connors, yes. the and, lizard man. Anyways, yes. So yeah, to and g- they make lots of jokes about the lizard yeah, man like, wanting to turn people into like lizards. The, yeah, I like the. There's like, and then he wanted to turn the whole city into lizards. It was crazy. And we'll we'll, we'll talk about we'll talk about that in a moment. So yes, anyways, yes. teleports back to the sanctum because it turns out the spell, um, when it uh, went wrong, it started drawing everybody who knows Peter Parker's Spider-Man from every other universe. And though he stopped it mostly, a couple of them leaked through, specifically, you know, these villains and maybe a couple of other characters we'll talk about later in the movie. Um, anyways, yep. uh, so yeah, so they've captured Doc Ock and they've captured Lizard. So now they want to go after Green Goblin. But of course, Spider-Man needs, Peter needs help. So he brings in MJ and Ned to help be his, you know, you know, kind of, uh, um, technical team be the 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 ned be just goes be the guy in the chair then they see to find someone in the woods they build spider spider-man makes his fancy uh his his kind of uh his black and gold suit looks pretty good even though because he's a steelers fan he's a steelers, but he lives in new york <laughs> why would he like the steelers when he be- he's a bandwagoner he's a bandwagon god damn it god damn it peter <laughs> well i mean i don't think peter parker would be that into sports I, there's a, there's no, a joke um, about that actually. Be, he he joke. would be into esports. Well, yeah, he would. There's actually a joke about that when he's talking with MJ um in the aftermath and he's listening sort of a sarcastically favorite thing. He's like I, I, you're you're so into sports. I think the Mets are going to go all the way this year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um That's a good joke yeah, cuz the Mets joke, are so. terrible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah so he builds a black and gold suit and he goes into the woods and who's there but electro and they have the big big battle in the woods and i like how they actually come up with an in-universe explanation for why he looks different because you know obviously and i still don't buy it this is a different character <laughs> no because he was because 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 well because he's he was obviously blue but then he absorbed the energy of this other universe because if you'll remember mm-hmm. Back, because his universe, the Amazing Spider-Man universe, obviously operated on traditional electrical power, right? But yes. if you'll recall, in this universe, back in the uh, back in the Avengers 2012, Tony put all of New York on arc reactor energy. So presumably, mm-hmm. that would basically be how the entire global power grid is operating by this point. You know, because it's been over like 10 I'm years. I'm sorry, how does this explain how he's different? Because arc reactor energy is different from electrical energy. And how does this make him not a dork and cool now? Um, well, that, that I'm not sure. Um, That's my point. He's a different character. I mean, frankly, I mean, when it comes to him, I don't care because it's a better character. <laughs> like... Well, that's my point is that it must have come from a different Amazing Spider-Man universe. Yeah. 
uh, and one that was presumably uh, better written. Uh, good. Yes. <laughs> Fine. Yeah. Sure. I mean, the. I mean, most of the details are basically the same anyway. I mean, also Flint Marco, the Sandman in this, he uh, he never really goes into his human form, and I thought that was kind of disappointing. Well, I would have yeah. liked to see more Flint Marco human well, but form. Apparently, because even though Thomas Hayden Church and Reese Evans, uh, the Lizard, they both reprise their roles uh, for the voice. Apparently, mm-hmm. when they do go into their human form, that's all archive footage. So I'm guessing it was probably oh, a that makes sense. Issue, yeah. Um, yeah. With those two in particular, but yeah, I do I do like seeing Sandman back. He's pretty cool, yeah. even though most of his character in this movie is kind of just being confused. <laughs> yeah. It's like, what the hell is well, going I mean, on here? <laughs> Who are you? I think it's also kind of weird that he's still kind of a villain well, because I mean... at the end of Spider-Man Three, I don't know. I always assumed that after he gave his big, uh, you know. Uh, I, I'm asking for forgiveness. We don't have to forgive me. Speech that he would go on to find a better path. I mean, this also. I mean, that raises the question of at one point. I mean, like he's at the point in the timeline where he knows Peter, and Peter is friendly with him. So I guess this is right. after the ending. Is what this is after Spider-Man three? Assumably after they got married. I guess means, uh, he didn't die. Um, yes, but I mean, I mean, he's not really a villain. He just happened to leak in with the other villains. Like right. In yeah. terms of his characterization, that's that's more of a coincidence. So, so yeah, they have the big fight in the woods, and I like how like just like you, you know, uh, Spider Man's like, you know, I'm kind of responsible for you being here. Oh, you mean the universe? Oh, the, oh, the woods. I hate the woods. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, yeah. so they send elect, so they send Electro and Sandman into the Sanctum. Oh, and also at one point while he was trying to web Electro, he sent in a tree. Um, and I yes. like how there's the joke after they find out about kurt connors and how he turned himself into a lizard and then he tried to turn the whole city into lizards and i like how kurt connors is just like you know last i saw you you had buck teeth glasses and a cobover did you get a makeover you know i could give you a real makeover let me guess into a lizard exactly (laughs) i really like lizards why wouldn't you want to be a lizard peter (laughs) um and I like so anyway, how Osborne, yeah, so, Osborne takes control of himself from his split green goblin yeah, personality. Yeah, so there's, yeah, so there's, or does he? There's the. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. I did, I just did want to say I like the I like the joke where Ned's like, "Do you know if there's some kind of tree monster or like a scientist who turned himself into a tree? It's just a tree, man. Like, <laughs> it's an ant. Don't worry, it's an ant. Yeah. Um, and so yeah. So yeah. So Norman, he's Norman. Uh, they do one scene of him talking to the mask. Just because, you know, you kind of got to do that. But then he breaks the mask. He's like, I don't know where I am, so I'm going to go to Feast. Where the heart, Osborne. First, we attack his heart. So, because he saw Spider-Man. Yeah, so he goes to a F-E-A-S-T building. Yeah, what Feast. is Feast? Uh, Feast, it is, a, it is a homeless shelter. Um, I forget the acronym at this point, but it's um, important because uh, this is also the... Uh, the has, the Feast homeless shelter is the same one that Aunt May works for in the Spider-Man PS4 game. Oh, cool. Yeah. Well, th- then May comforts and I re- and I Parker remember when the and I remember yeah. when the set photos came out with the feast logo. Everyone was like, "Oh my God, you guys! Is Mister Negative going to be in the movie because he was in the video game?" No, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and now we get our hoodie Osborne. It's like, oh, I want to do the right thing, and I'm not totally secretly I know, evil. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. I don't know where I am. Oscorp doesn't exist. Somebody. I, help I don't me. know what I'm doing here. <laughs> I don't know where I am. I mean, he's playing. He's playing the innocent. I mean, like you could argue that. 
again, multiple interpretations of, of, where his, of where his character is coming from at this point. It's completely moment. insincere. <laughs> I mean, I, I interpret it as completely even insincere. Even if it is insincere, Willem Dafoe sells it because he's. He does. He's so good. Because he's, he's an amazing he's, actor yeah. with uh, apparently a very large penis. He's so. I, I, I believe it. No, no, like on the on the set of uh, of uh, the lighthouse, they had to uh, put in a, a stand-in because his penis was, and I quote, abnormally large. <laughs> King shit. <laughs> yes, I've got a big dick, Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's cert it is certainly true. Uh, yeah. Um. So, anyway, you, know, you know who else was in that movie was uh was Robert Pattinson, gonna be- aka. The next Batman. Oh, the next Batman. Um, yeah. So, anyways, yeah. Uh, so so Aunt May is all like, "Hey, uh, uh, you know, are they all like this? You know, do they all have, you know, well?" And Peter's like, "Well, not exactly, but they do have their own unique mental and physical issues." It's like, okay, Peter, these people need rehabilitation and like help. So, well, Aunt May, you help that's them. a great idea. But guess what? It's going to get you killed, Aunt May. <laughs> We'll, we'll talk. Think about that, Ant Man. We'll talk about that. Oh, we gotta help the supervillains. We gotta help who are about to die. Well, because the the one of the main themes of this movie, um, one of the one of the themes running through this movie is kind of there's there's a lot of uh, symbolism about how the prison system is terrible and that rehabilitation is a better option in most cases than incarceration yes. and should be attempted more often, which is true. Yeah. It's it's true. We should we should focus I, I'm more being on sardonic. rehabilitation. I actually I actually and, really love this movie. And mental I'm being sardonic. Yes. Uh yeah. So it's just we've been talking about the Marvel Cinematic Universe so long, I don't understand a non sarcastic way to discuss this. <laughs> yeah. I like this movie. I like everything about it. <laughs> yeah. It's a, I feel like that sounds insincere. I like I like how it's like you, you you say that and like we both gave this a ten out of ten and we both think this is the best MCU movie. Like yes, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm happy to be a part I'm of happy, it. I'm excited to be a part of it. Anyway, so so when Peter tries to you know he just he just sends them back and the Doctor Strange's like all right I'm gonna send them back and be like and so all right and then we'll all be done with this but then he finds out yeah. turns out all the villains. Or at least a bunch of the villains are like fated to die fighting Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. And Peter's like, "Wait, right. I don't want these people to die. I don't believe in that. I think murder is wrong." Except for Sandman. Sandman's just gonna fly. Sandman's into... just gonna fly away into the into the into, into, the great into unknown New Jersey. Oh, yes, <laughs> the great unknown <laughs> of New Jersey. Um, and so yes, and so he's like, when Doctor Strange's like, "Well, no, we gotta. We're gonna we're gonna send them back." And Peter's like, "What if we?" didn't though and so he takes the box and the doctor strange like, and then they have a great fight oh, where they the use the, uh, the scott derrickson mirror dimension the mirror stuff dimension again. battle they go to the grand camp i also like how peter can apparently because before right before that battle happens doctor strange knocks peter's uh astral form out of his body and apparently peter right. can control his physical body while in astral form because like, oh, he has the spider yeah, sense. Yeah, that was my thought, too. It's like, oh, yeah, oh, spider sense. Yeah, that makes sense. And it's also really cool. Yeah. And then they have this really awesome mirror dimension battle. They go all And I'd like to point out, uh, I feel like, you know, now with Sam Raimi going on to direct the next uh, the next Doctor Strange movie, Scott Derrickson isn't getting enough credit I mean, he is for the still, amazing uh, visuals of the first movie. I mean, he is still So I'd like to point be, out uh, that these are yeah. Derricksonian Derricksonian scenes. I mean, he is still going to be an executive producer on the on the right. Uh, we gotta Netflix. we gotta give respect to the director of Hellraiser Five Inferno. Yes, Scott Derrickson. Scott Derrickson. Yes. Um. Yeah. So you know, <laughs> all the buildings bend, cities twirling around. They go to the Grand Canyon. 
strange to be like it's strange to like you know a, an infinite number of people in the multiverse know peter parker spider-man we gotta stop this and peter's like but <laughs> what if we could like you know change their fate and stuff so they don't 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 die and dr strange is like i don't care and then peter's You're such a fucking libra peter <laughs> And Peter, and then Peter realizes that the mirror dimension basically just operates on geometry. So he's able to trap right. Doctor Strange in a giant web. He's like, you know what's cooler than magic? Math. <laughs> that is inherently not true, but okay. But okay. Uh, so yeah, so he takes the box. So he's gonna help them change their fate, and so they go back to the. Uh, we should we should also mention that obviously since the whole public outcry thing, uh, Peter and May and also Happy have been living in Happy's safe house. Um, right. So because they got canceled, they got canceled, and people throw bricks at them. Um, yes. So so they've been living in the safe house. So they take them to the safe house, and there's a bunch of really great character moments. I love the Electro and Sandman bonding over their origins. Like you know, yes. I fell into a vat of electric eels. Like, yo, kid, I fell into a super collider. Gotta watch where you fall, man. <laughs> <laughs> so they start doing the villain rehabilitation and they discover that the reason doc ock is evil now even though he got redeemed at the end of spider-man 2 is that presumably through the uh, transport to the to this new dimension his chip got fried so you know the tentacles are in control again so peter comes up with a way for the tentacles to not be in control and then doc ock's like oh it's so quiet i'm i'm free uh, thank you thank you thank you my dear boy here have this really cool fancy gold suit uh, through this nanotechnology. Uh, I wish he would have quoted more poetry. He's a little <laughs> less suave in this film than he is. I mean, the there is a, there's some suave moments, like uh, the bit oh, yeah. where he's uh, there, he's being interrogated. He's like, we tire of your questions, boy! Like, <laughs> That's not suave. That's just... Well, suave villain. is not the... <laughs> suave maybe not the right word. I'm sophisticated. Right. He's got yes. some sophisticated moments. I also like when they go into the go into the building. He's like, "What are you gonna cook us some cures and some burritos in a microwave?" <laughs> He's gonna kill us all. <laughs> uh, Alfred Molina is so good. Um, yes, he is. Yeah. Um. So they're like. So. He's and like, then May dies. Well, then what happens is that they're gonna cure Green Goblin, even though Norman and Peter have been bonding because. Uh, Norman is something of a scientist himself. They say that in the movie because they, they, like, they said the line. <laughs> that was that was the only part of the movie where I was like, oh, do they really need to do that? I, 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 yeah, I will admit, like, I, I, I laughed, but I was also like, you're, you're, you're saying this because of the meme. Like, <laughs> you're riding the line here, Marvel. <laughs> so anyway, you're riding the line between, uh, between enjoyable and uh, and meme yeah he said that line because of the meme but like i think i think the other Raimi line throwbacks you know were more natural like we talked about the listen to me i thought that worked great really power well. comes great responsibility oh yeah and we'll talk about that of course momentarily listen but then then the goblin persona takes ba takes back over it's like norman's on sabbatical honey which is like yes. the best line delivery in any movie ever <laughs> willem dafoe is amazing. Willem Dafoe. And he should be president of the world. Yes. Also, yes. give him a Best Supporting Actor Oscar for this movie. You cowards. <laughs> <laughs> best villain. Yeah. There should be a best villain category. There should why be isn't a best there a best villain? You're right. There should be a best <laughs> villain category. Also, why isn't there a best stunts category? And a best voiceover mm -hmm. category. There's a lot of categories that the Academy should have, but doesn't for some reason. So anyway. Goblin's persona takes control and he convinces the uncured villains to portray Peter Yeah, Parker. so they have this big battle in the apartment and Green Goblin, like, power slams Peter through the floor. Um, and, and then through the, in the ensuing chaos, Aunt May 
is is hitting the blast of a pumpkin bomb and yes. she's she's really she's really taken out she's got everything knocked out of her she's barely holding on but even then she goes to peter and she's like you know you did the right thing we did the right thing you with great you power have there must also come great responsibility great and with great power there must also come great responsibility and i remember being in the theater watching this be like oh hey they finally said the line and then my and then i thought wait a minute she said the line oh no aunt may's oh, dead oh no yes aunt and aunt may aunt may dies and I, and tom holland starts sobbing his eyes out uh, uh, yeah i i do think because aunt may also died at the end because this this wrecked me and aunt may also died at the end of the spider-man ps4 game so i guess now yes. that everyone's sick of uncle ben is the trend now that we have to kill the other parental figure <laughs> Yes, of course. <laughs> yes, obviously. Um, obviously. So I'd like to point out uh, my issue with um, the first two MCU Spider-Man movies was that I felt like they lacked emotional stakes and consequences. Even though they had emotional stakes. It's just... So now this movie is basically Peter Parker getting traumatized for two hours. <laughs> yes. I loved it. I was like, traumatize him more. <laughs> Give him, make his life more shit. <laughs> when Aunt May died, part of me was like, oh my god, that's so sad, holy shit. And then the other part of me was like, yeah, yeah, kill Aunt May, <laughs> absolutely. Fuck yeah. Yeah, All but, right. and I think, well, yeah. Finally have, so, and we it's, finally it's, have a tragic backstory, you know? Yeah, even though Uncle Ben's death tragic did Tragic backstory. Happen. For the record, Uncle Ben's death yes. did still happen. It's just that Sony has a weird editorial mandate that Tom Holland's Peter is not allowed to explicitly reference Uncle Ben for some reason. Um, yes. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, and then that scene is followed. Tragic backstory. Is followed up by another Accessed. really powerful scene where Peter is in the rain look at, watching a news broadcast of J. Jonah Jameson, who has also been in this movie, mm -hmm. J.K. Simmons returning. Um, they've given him, they've really leaned into the Alex Jones parallels yes at one point he does in fact sell daily bugle supplements which i thought was really yes. funny <laughs> but in here he gives this speech remember that scene in spider-man 3 when he doesn't take his heart medication yes i do remember that scene in spider-man 3 where he doesn't take his heart medication that's a great scene um remember to drink lots of water <laughs> drink lots of water um but yeah he gives this scene where he's not yelling he's not raving he's just you know tragedy what else can i call it when will people wake up that everything spider-man touches chaos and calamity ensues like the, he has this cold hatred of of what of how of what he feels and an innocent life is lost of what he feels is entirely at the hands of spider-man and it's and it, it like it gives his character a level of depth that up to this point was not seen in the movie and while also re-emphasizing peter's arc of dealing mm -hmm. with you know all this terrible, all these terrible things have happened, and in a manner of speaking, it is kind of his fault, or at least that's how he feels, and he doesn't know how to process right. that. And it's just him in the rain. It's such a powerful moment. It's and then yes. and then and you know he doesn't have his friends. He doesn't know what to do. The villains are loose, but then just when all hope seems lost, lost Ned is magic now because. He because they stole because earlier uh, Peter stole Doctor yes. Strange's sling ring and apparently Ned can use this because he's got magic in him. So he's like, I just wish we could see Peter. And he opens a portal and he sees a guy in a spider. He sees the Spider-Man costume. It's like, oh, he's gonna read up. It's like, wait a second, that costume is red and blue. And up to I this went to point, the bathroom for this scene. You gotta be kidding me! 
Like, look, like after she died, I thought, oh, they're going to have a, a lull moment now. So I ran to the bathroom, I came back, and then there was Toby Maguire and Andrew Garfield there. And I was like, well, guess I'll have to watch that again some other time. <laughs> yeah, but to try and set the scene properly. Um, uh... <laughs> but I have a question. I have a question about J. Jonah Jameson. Okay. What sort of media apparatus does this universe exist in that the Alex Jones fake news guy gets shown on, like, giant New York City billboards giving his reports? Well, like, this is a very well, dark I mean, media me, apparatus. Well, 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 the idea is, well, again, the idea is that, um, d- d- well, they, they say in Far From Home and subsequently the opening of this, that the Daily Bugle is a mm-hmm. very controversial news site. So I don't think this is them getting on Times Square billboards is a, was, or at least was not a regular occurrence until now when it turned out mm. they were kind of right about something. Um... So I guess, but at the end of, if you remember, at the end of uh, Far From Home, he's also on the giant billboard then. Yeah, he's also on the giant billboard because that was when, because that was, because that was the video, because that was where they, the video that Mysterio put out was was released. So it's he's kind of more like Fox News then. He's more Fox News. He's Fox News and Alex Jones thrown into a blender, basically. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I mean, cool. I mean, how? I mean, they're they're basically indistinguishable at this point. But you know, what, 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 what. anyways. Anyways, so, uh, so yeah, uh, Toby Maguire shows yeah. up, and God, you know what? I, I want to talk about Toby. I want to talk about my boy Toby. Oh, I, I, was, I mean, I was actually. Uh, do you, I mean, I was gonna. Yeah, I, w- I wanted to set the scene. So you see, set the scene. Yeah. So 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 you see, and the, so you see the co- the costume. It's like, wait a minute, that costume is red and blue. But up to this point. Peter has been wearing a red and black suit because that's the one he got at the end of Far From Home. And those eyes, those seem mm. a lot bigger than Tom Holland's eyes. <gasps> Could it be? And then he walks through the portal. He takes off the mask. It's Andrew motherfucking Garfield! Andrew motherfucking be? back and he's written by good writers this time. Lasagna. Thank you. <laughs> Yes. Man, man, maybe they should have gotten Andrew Garfield to voice Garfield in the Garfield movie. That's that's, so, that's so what they should do. There was there was a Spider-Man Garfield that came out when Amazing Spider-Man came out. <laughs> and it was it was the Andrew Garfield Garfield. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and then Toby Maguire yeah, so, assumably yeah, so comes he out. He shows up and you're like, "Oh my god, Andrew I'm Garfield is back." Out. And then you're like, "Wait a minute. If Andrew Garfield's back, does that mean and they're like well, I guess we got to keep opening portals till we find the the real Peter. No offense, Andrew. Uh, this is fine. And then he opens the portal, and in he walks. The man, the myth, the legend, Tobey Maguire. Now dig on this. I was I was actually going to ask what your initial reaction in the theater was to seeing this, but apparently you um, went to the bathroom. <laughs> so when I got back, I got back, and they were all talking. You know. They were like, whoa, how'd you do the magic thing? And that's when I got back. Oh, so you got back um, after Andrew Garfield walked through the portal, but before Tobey Maguire walked through the portal. <laughs> I don't remember. Uh, but anyway, um, so uh, my reaction to Tobey Maguire coming back is multiple. Um, one, he looks a lot older than I expected. Well, it, it, uh, it's a, well, it's a weird thing. because I like, mean, it's been 20 years. Yeah, it's been 20 yeah. years. No, the thing I know is, so Tobey Maguire is 46 now. Which, one, right. means he's the same age as Willem Dafoe was when they were in the first Spider-Man together, which is insane. Oh, oh, oh my god, yeah. I feel so old. Yeah, <laughs> and here's the funny thing about that, uh, for me, at least. Tobey Maguire, like, uh, like, he obviously looks older than he did in Spider-Man 3, but he also looks, like, 10 years younger than he actually is. 
So like, yeah. good on you, Toby Maguire. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, I, what moisturizer are you I, using, I, man? <laughs> like, what I noticed was, um, you know, obviously he's older, and I enjoyed there. He's a more relaxed, mature adult Peter Parker. Yeah. In this, where he he when when he in, in the Sam Raimi films, you know, he was a little bit impulsive, a little bit erratic. You know, he would be constantly worrying and crying about shit because yeah. <laughs> his life sucked. Yeah. Um, but in this version, he like he whenever somebody says something, he takes like a couple seconds to think about it. Like he's got, he, he's he clearly his... like even though Toby was very deliberate of he wanted to keep details about yeah. his life post Spider Man three minimal. It's very clear that like this, his Spider Man has gotten his shit together in the intervening yes. years. Well, um, he even says at one point when they ask about MJ, yeah, it's he like says, you know well, it's it's it, it's complicated, while, but we but were we worked it out. Worked out. Yeah, which I assume means that they're now married. Yeah, you know? presumably because um, although I, it's, I weird that that man, it's weird 3, that a man, it's weird that a man together. Like, uh, although know? it is very bizarre for a man that mm-hmm. a man of his age to describe a marriage as it's complicated. <laughs> well, I mean, it's he's Spider Man. It's going to be complicated. Fair. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, but also, what I love about Tobey Maguire in this is just his warmth, his energy, his his blue eyes. Yeah. He's such a gorgeous man. He's a beautiful I man. love him. I also, and, and we'll uh... get into this a bit in more detail <laughs> later, but I love how wholesome the relationship is between the three of them. Like, yes. they have fantastic chemistry together. And I kind of, whether it be mm-hmm. a Spider-Man team-up or something else entirely, I want Tom Holland, Tobey Maguire, and Andrew Garfield to do more projects together. Because they're just really good as actors in the same space. <laughs> like, <laughs> I agree, and I, I do enjoy... Uh, the characters do feel like they're the same characters from uh, the earlier films. Although I do think Andrew Garfield's character is made a lot more likable yeah, in this. Because, you know, because, he's, he's, beca- because he's become kind of the emotional support of the group, and he's gone through a lot of trauma after the death of Gwen Stacy, obviously. Yeah. Which makes him a more interesting character. Because, you know, these are writers that actually care about Spider-Man. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and I really enjoy how Tobey Maguire uh, acts as kind of the dad He's of the, the dad. group. Like, because they, and... they describe it as a brotherly relationship later in the yeah. a bit later, and like obviously Toby is the older brother, Andrew is the middle brother, and Tom is the younger brother. Um, yeah, and it's wonderful. And I, I um, really enjoy uh, Andrew Garfield's emotional support, where he's like, "You shouldn't negative self talk like." Well, that. oh yeah, well that's yeah. I love. <laughs> oh, oh, we'll talk. We'll talk about that scene um, in a moment. Yeah, but like, I do want to talk about first. So that so they so they come through. So they come through. So they come through the portal, and so they're like, and they're like, and Toby specifically is like, ever since I got here, I've been trying to like find your friend because I'm sensing that he needs my help. Um, cool car. Uh, our help. <laughs> um, it's taking all of my self-control not to just say toby mcguire um yeah so and so they they go to the top of the building that he and mj were hanging out on earlier in the movie yeah and peter's like you know what i'm just gonna send you all back and you belong here this is not my problem i don't care anymore she's dead it's all my fault i don't care and don't try to tell wants, me. And he wants to kill the goblin. And he wants also. to. He feels like he wants to kill the goblin. And it's like you know, I don't. I don't care anymore. I, you know, this. It, I don't want to deal with this. I'm. I'm done. And then Toby shows up. And, to, and then Toby's like, you know, hey, and and don't try to tell me you know what I'm going through. And he's like, well, actually, I do, because my uncle Ben died. I killed. I, I my killed ben my died. Father, my uncle's. Killer. My uncle Ben died, you know. and it was my fault. And Andrew talks about he lost Gwen. And, you know, mm-hmm. he, he tried to keep going, keep being friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. But, you know, he eventually got bitter and he stopped pulling his punches. And it's implied that he did, in fact, start killing people. Um, 
Uh, or at least he, mm-hmm. you know, he, or at least very brutally wounded them. Um, brutally wounded. Brutally wounded. Um, I don't. I can't see Andrew Garfield killing. <laughs> he's, he's, he's too soft. <laughs> He's, yeah, too, he's soft. too soft. For he's that. too he's soft. He's too nice of a guy in this. No, I, no. Yeah. What what would I feel like? What would happen is he'd get close to killing them, and then he'd start he'd break down crying about about Gwen, and then and then the criminals right. would just be yeah. like, "Are you are you okay, man? Do you need like a tissue or something?" Like, exactly. Yeah. So, and uh, I love the I love the moment where Andrew's like, "I just don't want you to turn out like me." It's like, oh, mm-hmm. and and Toby talks about you know like. The, the you know the night Uncle Ben died, I tracked down the guy I thought who did it, not the guy who actually did it, because it turns out it was actually that sand guy you met earlier. It's complicated, um, but you know <laughs> he doesn't mention that. Part. <laughs> he doesn't mention yeah. that part, but the, he does clarify. Because I feel like it, it would confuse him too much. <laughs> but it does clarify that it's it, it, clarify that it was a guy he thought did it, and not the guy who actually did it. Um, right. Like you know, I got what I wanted. It didn't make it better because because psychologically speaking, revenge rarely brings us the catharsis we hope for. Um, Yes. So yeah, and you know, he talks and and then Toby Maguire stares at you with those beautiful blue <laughs> eyes, and he talks about you know how Aunt May, you know, in her final moments, she told me with great power comes great responsibility. Wait, how do you know that? And Andrew's like, Uncle Ben said it, and I want to be like Andrew. Wait a minute, your Uncle Ben didn't say that. He went off on some speech about moral obligations or whatever. Um, but you know, I have a theory. <laughs> Remember what if? Uh, you... The great responsibility speech is an absolute point. It's an ab- oh in the, shit in the larger uh, Marvel multiverse. Okay, so even if we didn't see it in the movie, Uncle Andrew Garfield's Uncle Ben did in fact at one point say, "With great power comes great responsibility." Well, well, no, it, it's like him saying uh, him saying his dumb little speech. That was the great responsibility. Oh moment. yeah, but I mean, t- I mean, yes. But I just want to say that technically speaking, Andrew Garfield did not hear Uncle Ben say with great power comes great responsibility. You see, that's what I can I can pulse. I can be I can come up with nerdy fan theories. All right. I'm good at doing this podcast. <laughs> yes. Um so yeah, so then they decide they're all gonna work together, they're gonna team up, so they they, they go back to the lab. Andrew puts on his little lab coat, um, and they mm-hmm. all start experiments and trying to get all the cures working for everybody. I like how Andrew's like, you know, I've already cured Dr. Connors once, so that's all taken care of. <laughs> <laughs> I like I like um when I w- after I watched the movie with uh my brother-in-law Tater and my sister um the uh, the the one thing that they did say was it was a little convenient how they made all the cures so quickly that's that was one criticism that I heard and I was like well yeah but I mean overall I feel like yeah. it doesn't really matter because it's just getting you Especially from one scene part they to the also, next you know say like um like with uh, the Norman cure. Toby is like, you know, mm-hmm. I've been actually, I've been thinking about this for a very long time. So it's implied that, you know, he's been working through the calculations of a potential anti-serum for the Goblin formula for like years. Um, you know, it's sort and of. This a, is, goes out to all those people that says that the Toby Spider-Man Peter Parker wasn't science. I do. Well, I, he is cured. I do. Yeah. I, 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 yeah. I was going to say, I really like that. I really like that. They let Toby be sciencey. I thought that was, yeah. I thought that was really cool. I also love the moment where Ned goes up to Toby and is like, so did you have a best friend too? Well, uh, do you have a best friend too? I did. You know, he, he died in my arms after he tried to kill me. It was heartbreaking. And Andrew Garfield goes, dude. <laughs> and then later, and then a bit later. They missed the opportunity for a joke there because then, it, then uh, you know, Andrew Garfield really could have turned to him and said, was it Harry? And was then it? Toby just like, nonsense, like, 
Same, bro. <laughs> yeah, same, bro. I feel like I feel I, like there is a bit of a look there, but I yeah, they, I would it would have been cool if they had actually said Dane DeHaan. Hashtag <laughs> justice for Dane DeHaan. Justice for Dane. And I like how a bit uh, in a it, momentarily after that, they're like that's like all right. Here's the here's the stuff you need, and I promise I won't turn into a supervillain and try to kill you. And Andrew Garfield gives him <laughs> a look like nice. <laughs> So I, I really love how they bond over the science stuff. I think it's funny. yeah, the, yeah. Uh, so I they, I love cure that ass. <laughs> yeah, and and then finally they uh they they discover the organic they, webs. the organic webbing and they so and they Toby. go into the scaffolding um where they because they go to the Statue of Liberty which has been newly renovated with the Captain America shield, um and they're like where is it stored and he's like I don't know I never yeah asked. yeah they have the whole conversation about it. it's like you know how do you how do you do that it's like I don't know I don't, I don't do breathing it just sort of happens. <laughs> And I just love the all the these balls. little character moments, like that uh, Andrew cracks Toby's back because, like, they both have back problems yes. from all the swinging. Well, uh, that's that's a that is a uh, that is a callback to Spider-Man Two. Yes, yes. Because when he uh, when he fell off uh, off the building and then hit his back on the cat yeah, exactly. Car. Um, and, and then, then he had a crink in his back. Yeah, and I yeah. also love the the yeah. villain conversation. Where it's like you know I fought, I fought an alien. Made a black goo one, so no way. I fought, I fought an alien too on Earth and in space. He was purple. I want to fight an alien. <laughs> Hold on, I'm still on the a- purple alien. You know, part yeah, and you fought an alien Andrew in Garfield in says. space. It's like I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> lame compared to you guys. I fought a, a Russian guy in a rhinoceros. <laughs> and, and then they're like, hey, "Stop that! Stop, Stop that! You're that not lame. You're, you're amazing. You're amazing. <laughs> we need Can to work on on the self talk. You're amazing. Can I hear you say? It? I just really need to hear that. Thank you." I also love the edit someone did of that scene where it's like, you know, uh, you know, I got hit by a train while fighting Dr. Octavius. No way, I got hit by a train too. I want to get hit by a train. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, yeah, yeah. they have, the, and, they have um, all these great conversations and character moments. And then, of course, the villains show up, uh, elect- specifically Electro, Sandman, and the Lizard initially. Yes. Um, so they, they have the big battle, but at first they suck because... Toby and Andrew don't know how to work as a team. Tom's like, right. Tom Holland, Peter, MCU Peter's like, you know, I've been on a team before. I was in the Avengers. It's like, you were in the Avengers? That's great. What is that? Is <laughs> <laughs> that a band? Are you in a band? <laughs> Confirming that the Avengers yeah, do not exist. Yeah, even the, yeah, although there is a in, Doctor Strange. Yeah, even though there is a Doctor Strange reference. In the, in the Which I'm, I'm assuming, since Sam Raimi is directing the second Doctor Strange film, we are finally going to get an explanation for J. Jonah Jameson saying, Doctor Strange, that's good, but it's taken. And that would be that would be fun if, like, nearly two decades later, we finally got an answer for that. Um, yes. Uh, yeah, but then they, you know, they learned to, you know, the trust to trust the tingle. Uh, they Because they call it just the tingle in this. They, they removed the Peter tingle. Uh, good. <laughs> Spidey sense, just say Spidey, Spidey sense. sense. I, I mean, I'm fine with Tingle because that's no more dumb yeah. than Spidey sense ever was. So, like, you know, fine. Uh, yeah, and uh, the Goblin appears and unleashes the contained spell after Ned frees Strange from the mirror dimension with the portal. Yeah. So yeah. So so yeah. So they have this really great fight. Oh, I also love the line where as that when they're about to do the teamwork, um, it's like Andrew's like, wait, wait. I love you guys. Like. Yes. That line was improvised. That part is great. Yeah. Uh, that line was improvised, by the way. That was, that was in fun. the moment, Andrew Garfield. And then they all web swing together and they do the poses. It's like, oh my God. And then they have the big fight. And then Sandman gets cured. And the Lizard gets cured. And we have the little reunion between uh, ASM Peter and Max. 
and because when Electro gets cured, and I there's this great character moment where he's just like, you know, you got that nice cool suit, help a lot of poor people. I always thought you'd be black. Oh, I'm sorry. That's okay. There's got to be a black Spider-Man out there somewhere. It's like, ah, Miles Miles Morales. Morales. Yeah. Yeah. Goddamn eels, man. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. So then uh, Strange attempts to hold them off while an enraged Peter tries to kill the goblin. Also, before that, I do want to talk, and I want to get your thoughts on this as well, as the sort of there's a little reunion between Raimi, Peter, and Otto after because Otto shows up to help them out and i love the yes. moment where he has the little arc reactor and he sees that this is his dream fulfilled the power of the sun in the palm of his hands it's like yes and then he's just like power of the sun in the palm in the palm of your hand peter my dear boy it's so good to see you you're all grown <laughs> up how are you doing <laughs> trying to do better sometimes to do the right thing we gotta go steady and <laughs> sacrifice the things we want even our dreams Aww. and that's that's basically peter's whole arc in this movie we're going to talk about that at the end yeah so um, yeah and so but i i do really love the auto uh toby mcguire there's so movie. many just good little like that's that's the thing about like particularly the the callbacks because i know some because so, i know there's some people some some people out there who are just like oh you only like the movie because of nostalgia and it's all fan service and blah blah blah, hey, blah, hey, blah. Hey, hey, and hey. like i hate nostalgia and fan service more than anybody all right. But the thing is, <laughs> is that this is fucking awesome. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was going to say. And if you can't realize that, then I think that's a personal. Yeah, problem, exactly. That's right? my thing. And also it because because the because the because the, like, it, yeah, it is. It is a lot of it is tapping into a lot of nostalgia, obviously, because, it's you know, bringing back all these characters. But it's also doing it in an organic. Yeah, way exactly. That's it, what it, I was about to say. The it's thing is, doing it my, my way... big my big fear with yeah. this movie was that it was going to be overloaded with cameos to the point where it detracts from Peter's main arc. But the thing is, is that the Peter's cameos enforce is... Peter's arc. Like they right, because are, like hell the whole the whole reason the cameos even start happening is because of is because, is because of, Peter's, of Peter's arc and Peter's actions. Peter is the impetus of everything that happens in the story, and that's why it's great. Right. Like <laughs> the, the best Spider-Man stories, in my opinion, are the ones that emotionally torture him from beginning <laughs> to end. And I'm sorry if you don't like. I mean, this, look, I, I I think Peter Parker should uh, should be allowed to be happy at least every once occasionally. In a while. But, you know, like, yeah. But usually he should be miserable. <laughs> like, 75% of the time. I, I, lo- I, love, I love all the, the twists, like, like uh, Peter Parker, when P- Peter Parker, like, Spider-Man fans, when all of Peter Parker's friends and family are dead and he has no money. And, and it's just them, like, like furiously masturbating. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. So, yeah. Um, so anyways. Str- so, so, anyways, so that little moment happens, and then... Peter yes. confronts the goblin, who, by the way, can I also say, I am so thankful that we finally, finally have a green and purple green goblin. Thank you. I thought it looked kind of dumb, honestly. I thought it looked great. I thought it looked really cool. I mean, I was but worried yeah, when um, I saw, like, the My favorite photos. part about this scene is when is when he's fighting the goblin, yeah. Tom Holland is, and the goblin is just, like, brutally murdering him and just constantly digging the emotional knife in further like this is all your fault fault. and peter just starts beating the shit out of him like he is just brutal like there's the there's that one flip at that at one point that's fucking badass and he goes he grabs the glider he's ready to just slam this glider into him and andrew and toby peter that's not the jedi way (laughs) 
well, there is some Star Wars references um, in this. Uh, yeah. So, and then you know, ASM Peter and and uh, Raimi Peter, they sort of look at each other to be like, no, this is wrong. He can't be. We know he, this is this isn't what he should be doing. And M- and Raimi Peter, Peter walks down. And he he grabs the glider, and I like how he doesn't say anything in the scene. He just gives mm-hmm. MCU Peter just this look of just like, mm-hmm. and that communicates so much character. Of like, look, I know you don't want to do this. Do not do something you'll regret. Right, and he doesn't actively stop him. Like MCU Peter gives up on his own, which because right. because all. Raimi Peter did there was just give MCU Peter enough time to think about what he was doing and realize that this was not what he wanted and it's not what he should be doing. Um, I mean, Raimi Peter's already been through this arc in Spider-Man 3. Exactly. Of dealing with rage and violence and revenge, especially against, you know, Sandman. Yeah. Um, He's also uh, dealt with these issues um, in the first film, in the very first film. Uh, he's kind of not very vengeful in the second movie as much as he is dealing with the the struggle of yeah. you oh, know day to day. Oh, I almost forgot. I, I love the yeah. I love the conversation they have about the web block because they're yes. like, oh, you've never run out of webs before. But I did have a, a, a web block once. You said that it's like you know existential crisis. It's a crazy existential crisis. Uh, yeah, I know how that is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So then, uh, Raimi Peter stops him, and then Andrew Garfield helps uh, uh, yeah, Tom they, they Holland the, inject the goblin with his yeah, cure, get the cure, restoring Osborne's sanity. Which I'm still skeptical about the fact that it would make him a good person. Well, but hey, this is a different Osborne. Let's just let's we'll 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 we'll, we'll roll with it. But you know, with, it's a different Osborne. We'll we'll, we'll just sure, whatever. Um, <laughs> point, Peter, po- po- you're like a son to me. <laughs> Don't let him take me again. <laughs> I do want to point out, he does seem to... This Norman does also seem to care about his son a little bit more. Because when he says, Oscorp doesn't exist. My son. It's like, oh. yeah. So, that's an interesting wrinkle. Um, yeah, I think that this isn't Raimi, this isn't Raimi Norman. Because Raimi Norman did not give a flying <laughs> fuck about Harry. Although he does, like, although he does, his last words are, don't tell Harry. Like, he doesn't want Harry to know. Presumably, because he doesn't want his son to think of his father as a terrible person. And well, that's my, that's what I think is like um, when we talk about that. I I always kind of interpret Norman Osborn as a narcissist, um, um, because he, in 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 Sam Raimi's Spider Man, he constantly thinks about his son as basically just an extension of his own vanity. That you is know? true. Like he wants him to go to the best schools, whether he wants to or not. The most expensive things, the most expensive schools, and he alienates the son from other people to do this. And when he says, don't tell Harry, I always assumed that that was just his last little thing of, like, I need to preserve my image, you know, with my son. Well, I mean that... Not because I love him, but because I need to con- maintain control over my image <laughs> of him. That you know? is also true. Um, that's that's kind of how I always yeah, saw that scene. But anyway, yeah. so so that happens. But then Toby looks up and be like, hey, there are, like, are there people in the sky? Because there are people in the sky. Because the multi, all the multiverse people are apparently breaking through, and Doctor Strange can't yep. stop them. It's like they're coming here because of you. And Peter's like, "Okay, but what if everyone just forgot about me? If they're coming here because of me, you do a new spell and you make everyone forget who yes. I am." And Doctor Strange's like, "But then, no one, like everyone who knows and loves you, you know, will have no memory. It'll be like you never existed. Your life's gonna be." Even more terrible than it already is. Um, and Peter Parker 
and and the long history and legacy of, of spider-man giving up what he wants most says yes yeah and he do it he, he, he says yes um we also there are some easter eggs in those in those people in the sky like uh the rhino comic book rhino is there uh we see a black cat craven i think a couple others um, but they don't get a chance to go through the dimensional barrier because he casts the new spell and then he says his final goodbyes. He has this big hug with the other two Peters. That's just so, yeah. So he says goodbye to MJ and Ned and says that he will find them again. He'll find them again. You know. you know, I'll make you remember me. And you know, they have MJ. He and MJ kiss, and it's like you know, it's a it's a very great scene. I yeah, really love it. Yeah, it's such a powerful um, moment, and you know, they share the final kiss, and then in the meantime, the Latin choir is kicking in with the singing the the the, the theme of oh, as he as he's swinging away yes. in this final moments, and then a week goes by. And he's going over to the coffee shop. He's moved into a shitty apartment. Poverty. Yeah. Poverty. Peter's finally poor. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he was technically poor the whole time. But now he's more poor. <laughs> Peter is part of the proletariat. Yeah. Proletariat. Oh, proletariat oh, Peter oh, Parker. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> um, yeah. So Peter, he goes over to the coffee shop where MJ uh, is working, which was established earlier. In the ah, day. yes. And... I love this scene. And yeah, he goes and because he's gonna he's gonna tell MJ, he's gonna tell them to you know to, to tell them everything. And then uh, Ned walks in and they and he sees Ned and MJ having this moment of you know they're excited to go to MIT and they're happy. And he's like, wait, I think their lives might actually be better without me. Without I me. shouldn't rope yeah. them into this. So he says like you know he's been practicing like I'm Peter Parker. You don't know me, but I'm Peter Parker and blah, blah, blah. So he goes into the store. He's like, I'm Peter Parker. And I would like a coffee, please. And that's not how I interpret the scene. I always, I interpret the scene as he wants to slowly reintegrate himself into their lives. I feel like, like he was like, a... maybe become their acquaintance first and then lay on the heavy shit. Um, I don't know. I always felt like he was going to just straight up. I, I felt like he was just going to straight up tell them everything. Like, that's how I interpret it. Well, I know that is what he was planning to do, but what he is now, after he gets in the coffee shop, I think what he's thinking is, I need to take this oh, slow. Oh, yeah, that, I, I mean, know. that is also, yeah, that's possible. Yeah, because I think they are going to, because I think they're going to want to keep Ned and MJ around just because people yes. like them as characters. And also, I think pe people, myself included, still want to see Peter and MJ together at some point. So um, um, my theory is, I think, a really interesting way to do this in Spider-Man 4 Um well, in 2004, there's a film directed by Michael Gondry, written by Andrew Kaufman, called Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Oh, yeah, yeah. So do an um, Eternal, like, and, you know, where he, uh, yeah. Well, if I, I can synopsize okay, it. So yeah, yeah. Uh, if you don't want to know spoilers for Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, uh, don't listen here. Maybe skip ahead two or three minutes. So Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind is a really fantastic film. It stars Jim Carrey and Kate Winslet. And it's basically about... Uh, this couple that breaks up and they both go to a facility that can erase your memories of this other person. And as their memories are being erased in the psychic dreamscape, they basically realize that he doesn't want to forget about her. Right. And then fate and happenstance happens that they actually get back together and they learn about what happened before. So basically and, uh, cool an eternal, yeah. eternal sunshine of the, of the, of the spotless of the, of the Peter Parker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, and this has kind of been made in a joke of, like, you know, joke review saying Eternal Sunshine of the Peter Parker and stuff like that. <laughs> really, this only really affects the last ten minutes of the film. Yeah. But I think it has very interesting implications for where they're going to go for, 
forward. I mean, as he, I, I'm assuming they're going to do a trilogy. In yeah, because the the plan is now they're going to do a college trilogy. And before anybody get gets at me being like, but didn't Tom Holland say he wasn't sure if he wanted to do it anymore? And he's just like, if I'm playing Spider-Man, I'm sure he's got a problem. Does that mean he doesn't want to do it anymore? No, that's code for he wants more money. And they're going to give yes. him more money because they want to keep making Spider-Man movies. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think that would be an interesting way to go about a Spider-Man 4. Although I would say I don't think that going beat for beat across Eternal Sunshine, I don't think that's a good uh, idea. Yeah, I don't think they just remake um, Eternal Sunshine but with Spider-Man characters. But I think a similar idea, I think yeah. that could very well uh, play into it. Um, yeah. So it would probably have to involve Doctor Strange again. Yeah, you'd probably yeah, I'd probably have to call Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange would be like, "Wait, who are you?" No, I feel like he'd go to Doctor Strange as Spider Man because presumably yeah. he still remembers Spider Man. Because every so one one question I have is if everybody has forgotten about who Peter Parker is, how did he have any money or bank account? I think enough to uh, I think the idea is that, that a social security card is not specifically tied to his actions as Peter Parker. As a person, <laughs> that was just something that was given to him when he was born. So, like, and also, you and even if that wasn't the case, you could argue that Doctor Strange slightly altered the spell to, like, throw Peter a bone. Just so you know, he wouldn't mm -hmm. be completely helpless. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and it ends with him just, you know, kind of, yeah, he's, he's a depressed turtleneck he's, he's person in a, now. He's in a shitty new apartment. Uh, he's got the, although he does still have the little Lego Palpatine. And it was just such a yes. nice little. He's got his memories. He's got a nice little callback. Although, and I know people pointed this out, and even though I'm one of the defenders of this movie, I have to agree with it. That that feel when a Spider-Man movie uses Palpatine more effectively than Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so then Peter gets a amazing, a fantastic new suit, like the new suit he gets in yes. the final web swing. Best Spider-Man suit it's very ever. Cool. Like. Let him wear that. I'm not the... sure about that, but it's very cool. Yeah, I I, lo I love it. Um, and he goes into his his final web swing, and he's gonna still do his Spider-Man stuff, even though his life is shit now. Because you know, still with great power comes great responsibility. The lesson he learned from from Aunt May, and I oh I also well, it's not just that his life is shit; it's that he's matured. Yeah, also, and that he's, he's at a point where he's able to. He's able to remember and fondly remember the people that was in his life and stuff like that while still being and doing what he needs to do. Yeah. And the question is, is how long he can go without going back yeah, to Zendaya, I'm, I'm I think. I'm kind of curious you know, as to or how long it'll Ned. be before. And I, I, I don't know if everyone's memories are going to get restored. Um, well, obviously not everyone because he doesn't want everyone. You know what be interesting is if MJ kind of... figures it out first. Yeah, that would be fun. Yeah, if if MJ figures it out, that would be a, that would be a, this time. Yeah, like, like MJ realizes that something's off, and then she investigates. I think yeah, that could like be fun. she 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 finds out about this Peter Parker person because maybe uh I f I feel like he's we can talk because he was acting weirdly in her coffee shop a bunch of times. Yeah, uh, and also I feel like um we can talk about this later. I feel like in the next one he's probably gonna get like some job at the Daily Bugle because that's probably like the only kind of job he can get now. And he needs money. Um, yeah. But we can talk about yeah. that in a, in a moment. Um, so he has the... Can I have an advance on my salary? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're serious? <laughs> um, but... uh, yeah. So anyway, although... I feel like that's the end of the yeah, movie, well, right? Although we do have... Well, there's still post-credits we got to talk about. Because first right, of all, right. we got to talk about the single greatest troll in cinematic history. Because mm -hmm. it's Venom. Tom Hardy Venom. 
He's there. He's at the bar. He's talking to the actor who plays Danny Rojas in Ted Lasso, a show I have not watched. Um, and he's talking about also this whole universe full of super people. And there was the big green guy. Got really at Hulk. And you thought Lethal Protector was a shit name. Um, and so and he's like, all right, maybe I should go to New York and meet with this, this Spider-Man. But then the... Doctor Strange reverse spell happens, and they're like, no, we just got here, we gotta go back, and then, you know, he goes back, he didn't pay his tab, but what he leaves, but what does he leave behind? His little Venom. And it starts moving so, around. Uh, so, uh, here's the thing, say, I have a question. Yeah? I have a question, how the fuck did, did Eddie Brock get into this universe? I think the, uh, this is actually, I think the writers have actually talked about this. Is that the idea is supposed okay. to be that? So remember, you remember the mid credits of Venom Two, where they talk about the symbiote hive mind. The idea is that the symbiote yes. hive mind connects him to symbiotes of other universes, i.e., universes where there is a Venom symbiote that had bonded with Spider-Man, like the Spider-Man Three universe, for instance, or the. Oh, so he okay. has sort of subconscious memories of that, which is also why he was. Attracted the Spider-Man. Then why the didn't place. Venom? Then why didn't the the symbiote vanish? Well, I, well, well, he vanished, but he left a little bit behind because physical objects from the because it seems that physical objects from the other dimensions can stay behind because like I I have to presume. But it's that, not a physical object; it's still the symbiote. Well, it did. This doesn't make sense. <laughs> well, the point being is that the symbiote did get left behind. Don't question mm -hmm. it, and okay. you, you, all I gotta say right now is, you better nod your head, because the black suit's coming. And yes, I did just make a Men in Black 2 reference, why do you ask? <laughs> now dig on this. Black suit saga, baby! Ba -ba -ba -ba! And uh, while mourning at Maya's grave, he has a conversation with Happy Hogan. Oh yes, that also and, happens. Uh, that's also a really good scene. And that's a very good scene. And then and the, yeah, that's the end of the movie. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, the, also at the very end, there's just a straight-up trailer for Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Looks really good. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So overall, um, this movie was really surprising to me. I thought it was kind of shocking, the places that they took Tom Holland's character in that they're not babying him anymore and they're letting him go through actual psychological trauma and horrifying situations, which is fun. <laughs> uh, I really enjoy how basically the whole thing is Peter's fault, or at least is perceived to be his fault, because that's kind of the whole thing with Peter's stories when I like it a lot, is when he's struggling under the weight of everything and under the weight of his own decisions and actions. I think that is a really engaging story. Um, and unlike the past two films, this one has a lot of crazy shit happen in it. Willem Dafoe is fucking amazing. And I really enjoy how Willem Dafoe's Green Goblin is the one that breaks this character. Yeah, I like how Willem I think Willem that's Dafoe fantastic. Is, he is he is the main villain. Like yeah, this... and honestly, he is kind of more scary than he was in Spider-Man One. Exactly, that that was my thought. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, but mostly just because in Spider-Man One, I I feel like there was less of him that wanted to brutally murder everything he loved. Well, it was that was there. It was there. You know, he, <laughs> more... he talked about we attack his heart and, and shit like that. Raimi Green Goblin was more petty. Yeah, he's more like he's more petty. You know, he's more will meet again, Spider Man. 
And whereas more like uh, no way- I'm I'm still after you because you turned down my deal for us to work together. Type yeah. Thing. Whereas no way home. Whereas Norman this Osborne one just is, wants to destroy hope and love. Yeah, and happiness. is incredibly sadistic. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, and overall, I think that uh, this movie is fantastic. I really enjoyed how they brought back Otto Octavius. I think that uh, bringing back Matt Murdock was amazing, even if it was a very small part. I'm glad Stephen that it Strange was, a, was I'm, 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 I'll talk about this in a moment. I'm glad Matt Murdock was a small part. I'm glad that because it, you know, it makes sense for his character, mm-hmm. you know, and it's it's a nice little moment. But they also didn't feel and but they didn't feel the need to like stop the movie so he could do a big daredevil suit up and fight ninjas in an underlit hallway for 10 minutes. You know, <laughs> I'm glad that well, didn't those happen. scenes in the TV show were awesome. And I don't enjoy that tone. So <laughs> uh, but anyway, um, but yeah, everything else about this movie is, is really great. I enjoyed Flint Marco coming back, even though he's kind of not that big of a deal. Uh, I also really enjoy Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire. And oh, Tom wait, Holland's I almost, chemistry. For, I almost forgot. I can't believe I almost forgot about this. Um, I, what? before we go into overall thoughts, I really want to talk about the scene where Andrew saves MJ because there's a moment. Oh yeah. That's a good yeah, scene. I, anyway. I lo- I, yeah. I love that moment. Cause there's a, cause there's a moment where MJ falls off the ground and Tom's like, Oh no. And then Andrew Garfield's like, all right, I got this this time. He catches her and he has this sort of profound emotional moment. Cause it's like, he's finally been able to make up for that horrible mistake. It's like, and just like, and he's just like, you know, are you okay? It's like, yeah, I, uh, are you okay? And he starts breaking down crying and it's, it's a little funny, but it's also just, um, it's an incredibly powerful moment. And there was a guy when I went into the third time for the third screening, mm-hmm. who was very clearly a big Andrew Garfield fan because this person, when Andrew Garfield showed up was like, and I quote, Ooh, bitch. <laughs> Ooh, bitch. It, yeah. Audibly okay. in the theater. And then when the, when the moment with MJ happened, this person was like, Oh, so um besides that i just you know in homecoming and far from home and i know you disagree with me but honestly i feel like tom holland's peter parker felt kind of like there wasn't anything there that really engaged me and the reason why was because i didn't ever think that they would seriously traumatize or switch up the status quo which is what they weren't doing in the first two films minus the ending of far from home where you know the very ending uh but you know in this movie just goes balls to the wall it goes out all out it goes no we're going to fuck up everything we don't give a shit (laughs) we're going to do literally everything we can to make this an amazing impactful movie um i also enjoy how it's a kind of a morality play on not trying to change the past kind of like uh kind of like of um it's a beautiful life or it's it's a a wonderful life life. yeah it's a wonderful life a bit like that um and yeah overall i think it's really just a great fantastic movie probably i go back and forth on whether it's better than guardians of the galaxy 2 this doesn't have egregious Dairy Queen product placement. That is true. And it also doesn't have um, Dairy Queen product placement. So yeah, I'm going to say this is probably for the time being, subject to change, my favorite Marvel Cinematic Universe movie. Uh, yeah, Chris, what did you think of this movie? Um, and keep it under nine hours. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm going to have to cut out a few pages of here. Um, but... Spider-Man No Way Home is 
phenomenal. I think it is the best live action incarnation of the character. It's the best MCU movie. And what a- I still disagree with that. I still like Toby more, but continue. Yeah. Well, I mean the best or at least best live action film of the of the character. Though to be fair, I feel like the argument for me is now more contentious than it yeah. ever was. And cuz well, cuz I've I cuz there was some talk about like, "Oh, Tom Holland's Peter is good now." And I'm like he he was always good though. Um, he was always good, yeah. but now he's fantastic. Yeah, I think because well, what I think is because I I have always disagreed with the notion that Homecoming and Far From Home like had no stakes or whatever. Um, they, they didn't have any stakes. I'm sorry. They did. They did. <laughs> they have really stakes. didn't. They had a. Mo- it's just that like yes, they were lighter in tone, obviously. Um, Which meant they had less stakes. That doesn't mean they had less stakes. It meant that the stakes weren't as traumatizing. Um, so less than. Well, yes, but they still had them. Is what I'm trying to say. But they were lesser. <laughs> Technically speaking, but that's not the point. I'm. So it had less stakes. That's not... Yeah, that's. Uh, no, I'm not. If we're arguing... talking about a barbecue, this barbecue has no stakes. <laughs> no, it does have stakes. It's not, a, it's, it it's have not the... as good as a barbecue with more yeah, stakes. Well, can I make my point, please? I'm just pointing out that you're saying that the old older films had stakes. And I've now gotten you into a logical knot where now you have to admit like, yes, that they, they had less they stakes. They did have stakes, but ju- just... They had less stakes. Yes, but a lot of people try to argue that they have no stakes, and I fundamentally disagree with that. Where's the beef? My point being is that, and there was stakes, and there was emotional growth, it's just that a lot of it was a bit more uh, subtextual and a bit more, you know, you know, a bit more like, hey, when you really think about it, type things. Which meant that a lot of idiots... Less would brush it off and be like, lol, he's got no arc or whatever, ever, IR smirt, um, where now it's like, no, we're going to push those to the forefront so that idiots on the internet can't claim otherwise. It's going to be, we're going to be completely in your face about it, so please shut the fuck up. I'm John Watson, I'm tired of hearing from you people. I'm the- Honestly, <laughs> honestly though, this might sound like a hot take. You could kind of skip the first two Spider-Man movies. Nah, nah. This is no. This is his traumatic origin story. <laughs> no, all three films are the origin story. This was a three-part okay, origin story. Okay, come on, come on. <laughs> Do you really give that much of a shit about whether or not he, uh, the person he goes to the prom with is going to steal those weapons, their dad or whatever? First of all, I mean, was, come on. First of all, it was the homecoming dance. Homecoming was the title of the movie. And second of all, (laughs) yes. (laughs) Here's the thing, is that, um, like, since this movie now is gonna, it it has created the new status quo for Spider-Man, it's basically shaken everything up. I'm not saying you shouldn't watch those movies. I'm just saying that you don't have to. But you should. (laughs) You, you would have to to understand all of it, but you don't have to to really get it. And I think... Well, I mean, you uh, could argue that's From an emotional of... standpoint, it kind of works on its own a lot more than I expected well, yes, it to. yes, it does. I mean, I, I would agree with that. But I also think that it works very well as the ending of this trilogy. And I think the... I feel like... is I, I Can we definitively say, like, the MCU Spider-Man movies are, like, the best MCU trilogy? I mean, to be fair, there's only, like, uh, one other one that's, like, an actual... It depends trilogy. on how Guardians 3 shakes out. Okay, for now. I'll say for the time being. Because uh, Guardians 3 is not out yet. Um, 
Right, so, and I enjoy Guardians 1 much more than either of the first two Spider-Man but films. But I think for the time being, I would say, because, especially because the MCU Spider-Man films are the only trilogy, or one of the only trilogies in the MCU that feels like an actual trilogy, as opposed to a lot of them where they just feel like a set of three films. Like, I don't know if I agree with well, that. Because the only other one I can think of that really feels like a full trilogy is like Captain America. Like No, you see, here's the thing, is that, well, I wouldn't say Captain America is very in tone as a trilogy either, but uh, my thing is that I feel like the first two films are very in tone with each other, and the third one is not at all. I don't know, because I feel like, like, I, I don't it's know. It's much I, darker like, and yes, much more it, serious like, yes, than the other is, two films. Like, it is darker. Like, it is obviously and usually, dealing with a lot more. My point is that in a normal trilogy structure, the darkest film would usually be the second. I mean, that's true, but in, also, you know, we don't, yeah. we don't need to follow traditional structure every time rules are made to be broken um right and they were broken and i'm saying is that it feels like to me uh this movie has less to do with the first two films and more about trying to uh strike out a new path i, mean, I don't know if i fully agree with that because i feel like a lot of it yes obviously the stakes are higher and it is darker but i feel like that emotional weight a lot of it comes from having gotten to know these characters over the course of the two films. I don't think it's as that is impactful true. I'm not saying without that's not the first true. two films in, just, the, in the trilogy, and that's I'm why just saying, I feel like I don't, it works. I don't think that as a, I don't as think a the story as a trilogy really much, makes much sense for this to be the end point. Is what well, I'm I mean, it's not really the end point of the character because obviously they're going to do another right, trilogy. Exactly. But exactly. I think it's starting the, something new. But this is a. But as I mentioned, like. Homecoming, Far From Home, No Way Home are effectively a three-part origin story for this version of Spider-Man. And I feel like as a three-part origin story, it is very effective. And this is an effective final chapter of said origin story. There's a lot of powerful moments. But the third part's the best part, the best one. Yes. The third part is easily the best I agree. I agree. But also the first two are great yeah. as well. Um, yeah. And I, you know, I just, I, I, I love it. To, you know, there's so many powerful moments. They, the, they bring the, all the villains are great. They, in, in retrospect, I'm actually a little bit glad they didn't do Sinister Six because, because my thought was, because my initial thought was, Hey, it's kind of weird that if you have five villains, why not bring in a six one, just do Sinister Six. But I actually kind of prefer them being more disparate because it allows them to have more individual motivations because the Sinister Six are more right. of a villain team united under a common goal. So it would, and I swear to God, all the bullshit that's been made to try and make Sinister Six. Can we stop, please? I mean, I'd like to. I'd like to see it with Tom. Morbius, the living vampire. Oh God. Well, we're gonna have to talk about that. Yeah, we will talk of the. I'm not looking forward to it, but we'll talk. So, about, in summation, Chris, um, what do you think of the movie? Okay. Um. I, I, okay. I'm trying to stay on track here. Um. So yeah. So I. You know they. You know I think the all the returning actors are great. You know Jamie Fox, Reese Evans, Thomas Hayden Church. Willem Dafoe and Alfred Molina especially and Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield so fantastic so many powerful emotional moments so many great little character moments there's just so much of this movie to love and it's so goddamn good and I and and Doctor Strange is also there and he's good at it too um and I just I I like to think that this was all a long con on Disney Marvel part where they were like, we're going to make everybody think this is a consequence free trilogy and then hit them in the <laughs> face with a giant sledgehammer of trauma. It's the long con. It's the long con. But yeah, I, I, I love it to death. And I, I cannot wait to see the college trilogy, which brings me into my uh, sort of, if we can talk a little bit about speculation for a moment, what are you hoping to see in the, in the college trilogy? And what do you think we'll, what we might see? Um, 
Peter Parker fails a class, or fails multiple classes. He has to get held back a grade or some shit like that. Uh, well, I mean, he's taking, that'd his, be fun. he's taking his GED. Um, we see he's got the GED mm-hmm. in the... Peter gets yeah. too drunk at a party and starts talking about physics and nobody wants to be his friend. <laughs> that'd be funny. I feel like uh, that, that, will, is that... Does that happen before or after he puts on the black suit? <laughs> before. Okay. And he puts on the black suit to start be- trying to become cool at parties. Yes! Because... Nobody wants to be his friend at parties. Honestly, that... Because nobody knows who he is. <laughs> because nobody knows who he is at all. Yes! <laughs> or, um, but to be serious, I'm guessing probably what they're going to do is some sort of Eternal Sunshine thing. Maybe a a kind of, uh, you know, big concept genre romantic comedy. Maybe with Gwen Stacy? Maybe with, um, uh, you know... I mean, people uh, have, maybe with MJ. People have already sort of made the made the jokes of like when Peter goes to when Peter goes to college and he has a class with Dr. Kirk Connors and his uh la- and he and he and his lab partner is just Gwen Stacy and he has to write a paper on Dr. Otto Octavius. <laughs> yes, and and he's just constantly sweating the whole time. Like, oh he's god. like, oh god, is this oh, gonna happen? Oh god, is is, he, is my professor gonna turn into a lizard man? <laughs> yeah, and um. I don't know, they're probably going to do Black Suit, but I'm not sure how they're going to do that. I'm, I'm interested to see where it goes, honestly, because uh, what I really loved about this is kind of what I loved about The Last Jedi, yeah. is that uh, they just blew apart the entire structure <laughs> in, in in case of doing more interesting stuff in the sequels, in my opinion. So I think that's going to be fun. I hope Ned comes back in yeah, some I wanna, form. I'm, um, I'm, I'll, I'll get into some speculation about what I think might happen. What One possibility I think might happen. Well, to be fair, we don't know what's going to we happen. We don't know what's going Because we're not psychic. Because we're obviously we're not psychic, so we have no insider information. But to talk about... I have insider information, and that's that Spider-Man's going to be in it. <gasps> what a shock. Spoilers. Um, Spoilers. Man, can you believe it's been six movies and they still haven't hinted at who Spider-Man really is? I mean, wow. <laughs> <laughs> um yes so what do you what do you want to have all right so what i think and slash what i want uh is they're definitely christian they're obviously going to do black suit saga (laughs) like i think that that is coming up so what i would like to see is like movie four is like you do black suit saga like he puts on the black suit because like he's depressed because no one wants to be his friend and he has no friends anymore and he's struggling with school. No one it's, wants to party no with him. No one wants to party with him, exactly. And maybe you do, you maybe you also throw in that, some Eternal Sunshine stuff with MJ, or maybe you save that for movie five. I'm not sure. And I feel like I would have the villain be Craven, Craven the Hunter. You know, mm. he shows up. What about Scorpion? I'm sick. I'll get to him in a moment. Uh, okay. or, oh, wait, actually, wait. No, I changed my mind. I remember. I was going to have Craven for movie four, but then I realized he'd be better for movie five, and we'd actually have Matt Gargan Scorpion in movie four so yeah scorpion's gonna have be... you plotted this whole out oh my god I've, i have at least an outline um yeah so <laughs> scorpion scorpion's movie four and they're gonna do uh-huh. and, he does, and we do black suit saga and then the movie okay. ends with with kind of like some version of the bell tower scene where he takes the suit off because the whole movie is gonna be black suit saga um and then in the Wait, is this better for movie four or five? I'll stick it with I'll stick it for movie four for now. Um, so you want black suit saga? Yeah, a black suit saga, and then and then at the end, we don't need to know your whole plot. Hold on, hold on, pitch. hold on. We it's, can it's just, just know a, what you it's, generally want. It's just want. an outline. Because <laughs> this this helps me organize my thoughts into what I want. Um, oh my And then God. at the end, we would have the I would have the symbiote attach itself to Matt Gargan because Matt Gargan is a, also a version of Venom. 
in the comics. Well, so, what about Eddie Brock? We mu- we could do him later. Eddie Brock's had his time. What? Eddie Brock's had his time. <laughs> Give someone else a turn. What about turn. Venom 3? Well, uh, Venom 3, he can... Eddie Brock can fight Andrew Garfield Spider-Man. Because right. maybe there's something... So the I think we've talked about everything we need to talk about. Um, right, Chris? Well, can I can I talk more about what I wanted the college trip? Because I had Please to... God. Because... <laughs> <laughs> and then movie five would be... Would be Craven. Um, uh-huh. And maybe uh, some Mac Gargan vent. Oh, oh, yeah, Mac and Mac. Gargan. I don't know who Craven is. Craven the Hunter. He's like he's like a big game hunter, and he uh-huh. sees Spider Man as his greatest prey. So the whole movie what? would be like a cat Why? and mouse thing through New York because he's Spider Man. Spiders are predators. <laughs> well, Craven sees himself as the greatest predator. <sighs> okay. Yeah. This, this is already kind of a dumb concept. But okay. It works. It makes more sense in context. Um, <laughs> <laughs> trust me. I think Craven's a really cool. Uh, I, I I think Craven's a really cool villain, and I'd love to see him in a movie. So the whole thing is like a cat and mouse game. Through. Oh, now I remember what I wanted to do. Movie four is Craven, oh and then movie five is Scorpion. But midway through, he gets the Venom symbiote, and then the movie ends, and he fights Matt Gargan Venom. Now I remember what I wanted to do. I don't know anything about what you're saying right now. <laughs> I don't know who these people are. Matt Gargan is the scorpion. <laughs> but then he's also Venom. Oh, you mean... You mean... Michael uh, Mandow. Nacho Varga. Michael, Ma- Michael Mandow would be the scorpion, but then he'd become Venom. Yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. Cool. And then movie six, I would do the sinister six of the previous Tom Holland movie villains. So, Craven, Matt Gargan Venom, Vulture, Shocker. Um, that's, that's four. Uh, I'm the shocker. I shock four. people. Uh, bring back Mysterio, who's not dead. And then maybe also bring in the king. Mysterio's dead. He's not dead. We see Jake Gyllenhaal walk Mysterio's out of an airport dead. after his supposed death. He's not dead. Um. He's, he's dead. not dead. He's dead. Well, even if he is dead, they can snatch him out of time or whatever. Um. Okay. Well. So anyway, yeah, then, that's, then, uh, and, that's and, your and take on what you want to and happen. Then, and then bring in Kingpin for, for, for number six. Um. And. <sighs> <laughs> to, to round out the team and we would have sinister six and also another possibility i think could happen is i think we might finally see the ned lee hobgoblin thing happen because as you remember ned well that is definitely not going to a happen of, hold so. on hear me out <laughs> well that'd be obviously ned leads was a hobgoblin in the comics jacob battle on us talked about wanting to do it so i think it's possible that now that he does it that maybe something happens where, you know, Spider, where he interprets, like, what are you doing, Spider-Man? You ruined my life. And he doesn't know that Spider- Spider-Man is actually his best friend. And maybe he finds the broken goblin tech that was left behind after this movie. And he's like, oh, maybe I'm going to be a goblin now. And so he becomes the Hobgoblin. I'm not saying it will happen, Anyways, but it could. <laughs> where can they find you on social media, Chris? <laughs> no, wait, I have to tease what we're doing next week. What are we doing next <laughs> week? Next week. Next week. We will be looking into the year ahead, and we, and we will be discussing our most anticipated movies of 2022. Yeah. So that should be a fun time. Low effort episode. Yeah, awesome. baby. <laughs> so. I don't have to do anything. <laughs> You'll probably have to do some things, but not a lot of things. Um, yes. Yeah. So anyways, uh, this ha- thank you everybody for listening to this very long episode. This has been Hipster and the Nerd. We do this. Every week, you can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and all of your other major podcast platforms. So please leave us a nice five-star review on Apple Podcasts. 
subscribe on Spotify and vote in the polls and answer the Q&As and do all that engagement stuff. Spread the word on social media. Hashtag hipster and the nerd. Help us grow the show. We very much appreciate it. I am Chris Hanna, and you can find me at MegaNerd98 on Twitter and on Letterboxd and on my WordPress page, MegaNerd's Musings, home of geeky ramblings and self-indulgent fan fiction. Brian, where can they find you? Well, first I have to ask, what happened to the Owl House musical project? Uh, I don't know. Uh, the Discord is still slightly active. Um... Uh, I, the mods did uh, uh, did a bit of maintenance recently, so I think there might be announcements coming soon, maybe, but I'm not going to advertise it until I know for certain is there, it's happening. Is this secretly a front for the Italian mafia? No. Okay. These are all like, well, you can these find are all like me teenagers and 20-somethings. <laughs> well, if you want to find me, you can find me at your local movie theater, uh, you know, Watching a movie, probably. Probably Spider-Man. Or you can probably find Spider-Man me no Way in Home my again. home. <laughs> yeah, or you can find me in my home watching a movie, probably. <laughs> or you could find me in the shower crying about the Philadelphia Eagles. <laughs> but no, it's okay because the Cowboys well, lost. Remember? That's yeah. true. That's true. Their, their tears sustain me. <laughs> um, so yeah, or you can find me on Twitter at Brian Brecker, or you can find me on Letterboxd at bbreck 2 or you can find me hiding inside that box you leave in the basement it makes a very comfy home all right well uh once again thank you everyone for listening i'm inside the house the call is coming from inside the house um (laughs) so yes anyways thank you everyone again for listening uh seize the means of means of applebee's and we will see you next time